Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Game of Thrones rules! That was me knocking your ass to the dirt with your own hand. You talk to my brother this way. All the time. He got used to it. Do you think you did it? You haven't been to see him yet, eh? We're done for today. Your brother ever tell you how I came into his service? He stood for him in his trial by combat at the Erie. Aye. But only when Lady Adam demanded the trial take place that day. You were his first choice. He named you for his champion because he knew you would ride day and night to come fight for him. You're going to fight for him now. Seven blessings, Gin Alley assassins and one-handed swordsmen, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan. Forger of the Singularity. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, mother of a toddler. (laughs) And this (laughs) is episode 76. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 4, Oathkeeper. And in case you're not already aware, this is a series rewatch from the perspective of someone who's current on the TV show. That means you've seen all the way up through Season 7. So if not, there's still time to let Carl Tanner kill you and drink wine from your fucking skull so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a pretty wild episode, huh? Yes, lots of good stuff in this episode for sure. Yeah. And speaking of Carl Tanner, I recently saw the actor who played um, that character on the show The Man in the High Castle, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. Oh, yeah. And he plays a like a murdering creep just like on this. It's great. So <laughs> definitely check that show out if you guys have time. You look like a fucking ball sack. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> that actor's great. I like him. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, jump right into it. You want to start? Sure. So my number five is the title of this episode, which is Oathkeeper. Awesome. Yeah. I. Anytime Jamie and Brienne are together is always a great duo. And I love that Jamie brings Brienne into the room where the the book of brothers is i believe right. it's called yeah the uh, the white book they refer to it as in the uh, in the books as well but yeah joffrey called it the book of brothers yeah so i i like that he was kind of reliving you know needing to fill those pages and he mm-hmm. said to her it's the it's the duty of the lord commander to fill those pages i feel like the next thing on there could be that he empowered brienne you know like <laughs> That he's totally. responsible for elevating her to uh, like whatever status she she ends up having, <laughs> and I think that this uh, I think that this room that they're in is the top level of another tower in the Red Keep. That's like the the um, 
the Kingsguard Tower or something like that, and the Lord Commander's room is all the way at the top of it. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I like their, you know, conversation, and Jamie kind of walks over to the sword, and it just looks so beautiful sitting there. It does. You can see the ripples of the steel and just the the hilt on it, the gold hilt with the lion. It's just really beautiful. And I think I saw some rubies in the hilt as well. Oh yeah. It wouldn't surprise me like the red, like lion eyes or something like that. Yeah. And the, uh, the and steel, obviously it's supposed to be Valyrian steel, but I'm pretty sure that they used uh, what's called Damascus steel to sort of emulate the, uh, the Valyrian rippling look. And my replica that I have of ice has one of them has the, the uh, Damascus steel. So it's like all rippled like that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it really is a beautiful sword. And I love how Jamie, you know, picks it up with his left hand. And then to turn it around, he has to kind of like put it in his, the crook of his arm to hand it to Brienne. He sort of like ceremoniously hands it to her. Oh, yeah. and I should mention, I, I, I referred to the uh, the blade as being reddish last week. And that's because in the books, it has sort of like a red tint to it. The, uh, Tywin, when he commissioned the the swords, the uh, the smith, he he basically asked them to make the blades red, like for for Lannister crimson. Oh, Lannister, very but the, cool. Uh, yeah, but the, something went wrong and the, the color came out like slightly too dark, I think. So it's like a dark, dark grayish red in the books, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, so he hands it to her and she goes, you know, Valyrian steel. Mm. <laughs> and he goes, it's yours. And she looks at him just like, <laughs> I can't even, what are you talking about? This is yep. crazy. Like, you don't just get handed a Valyrian steel sword <laughs> and then does. told it's yours. <laughs> Actually, there's there's two instances that this happens on the show. Jon Snow, it happens to as well, basically. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, when so Mormont is... gives him the sword, that's true. Two times, like, the only two times in Westerosi history, probably, that this has ever happened. Here, take it. It's only Valyrian steel. Mm-hmm. I won't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I loved when she goes, I can't, I can't take this. And his response to her, it was reforged from Ned Stark's sword. You'll use it to defend Ned Stark's daughter, daughters. And then, um, you know, it goes on. You swore an oath to return the Stark girls. And I think it's funny how he says Arya is presumed dead. (laughs) But Brienne actually finds Arya first. Oh, yeah, true. Mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I think she passes... Yeah, it's right after that... they get rejected from the veil. Okay, so she didn't run into Sansa and Littlefinger at the inn yet. Uh, I don't think so, because I think that's I when think Sansa so and Littlefinger are already heading towards Winterfell. That's right. Okay, yeah, so she does find Arya first, which I find funny that he mentions her being presumed dead. <laughs> yeah. And he, Brienne ends up finding her first. Yeah, that's a funny little twist of fate. And then, you know, because I almost forgot, I have something else for you. And he pulls this silken sheet off this amazing set of armor. Jet I mean, black. it's just, it's Gorgeous really impressive. Yeah. Yes. She looks like very, very nice in it, too. She does. And I love, 
he took the time to say, you know, I hope I got your measurements right. Mm -hmm. Like, I want it to be just right for you. Do you have any idea why he made the armor black? No, I don't. Because I I was just wondering about it. The only other instance that I can think of where somebody's armor specifically is described as being black is um, Rhaegar Targaryen. Oh, interesting. Jet black armor with with the... three-headed Targaryen dragon embedded on his chest in rubies. Oh, that's right. The red the red dragons. Um, I you know, I never even thought why he made it black. But I mean, it's impressive nonetheless. Yeah. It's, it's It's good for gorgeous. nighttime stealth, that's for sure. That's true. Maybe it's has to do with Winter is coming in the long night. It's going to be dark. She might need that black armor to, to blend in. There you go. So I, I do like in this scene, you know, she, Brienne swears an oath to Jamie. She goes, I'll find them for Catelyn and for you. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, she's, you know, swearing an oath to Jamie. Yeah, she sort of like hesitates and like her lip trembles a little bit right she's about to say it it's that's like the equivalent of for brienne confessing her love to jamie you know what i mean yeah pretty much i mean it's an oath that she takes them very seriously and i think at this point in the story she knows that jamie takes them actually pretty seriously as well Mm -hmm. and just has kind of a bad reputation for not yeah but she knows she knows the truth him deeper than everybody else so yeah, she knows the truth that nobody else really knows they just have a real a really great dynamic because there is that love there and whether it's kind of platonic love or she's in love with jamie i think you know we we know jamie's in love with cersei so i think it's more platonic from jamie's side but they have such a love for each other and the way they talk to each other is just so full of respect mm-hmm. and you know yeah, lots of respect. Yeah, it's just a lot of dignity there, and I just like their dynamic. I like the way they treat each other. Yeah. And it took a, a lot to get them there. <laughs> yeah, it did. From hating each other to the, in the beginning to coming yeah. to really respect each other after they got to know each other. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. And uh, I liked sure. how she doesn't really even hesitate. Like, she walks over and sees the the armor and she's just like her eyes are just glued on it and she like reaches out to touch it and she's her eyes stay fixed on the armor and she i'll find her you know <laughs> she accepts the charge yeah and then she looks at him in the eye though when she says and for you yeah i thought that that was really powerful definitely and uh the other cool thing is th- that moment when he hands her the sword she's handling it so delicately and it's it's like a, a symbolic moment where like you know, Jamie's renowned as like the best, one of the best swordsmen in the Seven Kingdoms, if not the best at this point in time. And well, before his hand was cut off, obviously. And Brienne now is sort of taking up that mantle. You know, they've done comp, they've like fought each other um, sword to sword on that bridge, you know, right before being captured. And Jamie knows that if there's one person out there who deserves this sword of this caliber made from this steel, it's Brienne, you know, so it's like a kind of like a changing of the guard or like a passing of the torch kind of thing. Which yes, is pretty cool. absolutely. So 
Ben Q Pod. <laughs> oh, I almost <laughs> forgot. I have one more gift. <laughs> Smiling Pod. <laughs> He's standing there like such a gomer. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. a gomer. <laughs> um, you know, in her first her first comment is I don't need a squire. Right. She's not a knight, And right? she says that a lot. <laughs> yeah, she does. He'll slow me down. And then Pod calls her Malord. And they look all look at him and he goes, Oh, oh lady? sir, he says. <laughs> oh, sir, that's right, that's right. And he's like, M'lady? M'lady. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to call this person? <laughs> so funny. I promise I'll serve you well. See? <laughs> I know. You're doing him a service. He's in danger. You're taking him away. So, you know, she's like, damn it. I feel obligated now. And I, I love Braun. You know, he walks over to Pod and, you know, he goes, Tyrion sent this to you. It's, you know, it's his axe from the Battle of the Blackwater. And what a yeah. what a great gift for Pod. Great honor for Pod. Yeah. And it's yeah. so cool. He, so Brienne and Pod are both given... Weapons with particular mm-hmm. significance to them in this episode. Pretty, uh, pretty cool parallel. Yeah, and you know he stands there and is just kind of holding it a little, kind of the same way Brienne was a little bit overwhelmed at the situation of being handed a Valyrian steel sword. Pod's mm-hmm. looking at it, and clutches he, it close to his chest. Yeah, and Bronn's like, "What are you waiting for? Kiss." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you waiting for? Kiss. Ready the lady's horse. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, anytime Bronze in a scene, anytime Pod is in a scene, it brings a little bit of a lightheartedness to it. Because I think without that kind of humor, this this would have been a very serious scene. Yeah, and it's a little sad too because Jamie's saying goodbye to Brienne, mm-hmm. and she's Pod very is leaving sad King's too. Landing. Yeah, he's really sad. Brienne's clearly very sad, sad about yeah. it. She almost Pod's cries. Leaving yeah, I mean, Pod's leaving his his home mm-hmm. and going on this adventure. So I love when Jamie says, you know, they say the best swords have names. Any ideas? And she like takes a breath and just thinks about it for a moment. And, you know, she goes, Oathkeeper. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved that she named the sword Oathkeeper for so many reasons. Yeah, same here. <laughs> You know, first it's forged from Ned Stark's sword. Right. And he's a notorious oathkeeper. (laughs) Yeah, he kept his oaths. He was honorable. And Brienne is that way, very much so. Mm -hmm. And it also symbolizes the oath that she's sworn to Jamie. Exactly. And it also symbolizes Jamie's transformation because the sword transformed. From ice to oath, what is now Oathkeeper, it was given to him by Tywin for a very different reason than he's mm-hmm. giving it to Brienne, because Tywin at the time was asking him to break an oath. That's true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then he—it's very symbolic that he wants to let go of that sword and give it to someone as noble as Brienne to keep the oath that she made. To a dead woman, mm. essentially, and then and as that we he know, made that, as well because he, he yeah had sworn oh yeah and he to, made it too. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just such a great name that has a lot of meaning behind it. 
Yeah, definitely. It's really, really good. <laughs> Great writing. Yeah, absolutely. It's so poetic on so many ways. And then my last note on this scene is Pod cannot ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice. Of course you would notice, though, because you're like the horse I would master. Notice. He can... and. We see it in later episodes that Bran is, it's driving her crazy because he can't steer the horse in the right direction. And I'm sitting there <laughs> oh, yeah. like screaming at the screen. I'm like, put your hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. So that's, that's my number five. Do you have any other notes on this? Great. No, that pretty much covered it. That was my number two also. So perfect. Oh, awesome. Cool. So what's your number five? My number five is the sewer infiltration. Oh, okay. Let me love. find this in my notes. So the unsullied approach, the Miranese sewers wearing collars for disguise led by Grey Worm. And there's a f- series of shots where they're moving through the tunnels to get to where these guys, these slaves are meeting. And all the all these shots are just so beautiful. And the architecture of this structure that they're wandering through is just amazing and very aesthetically pleasing. And uh, this guy is talking to the slaves and he's trying to convince them to stand up and you know rise to the occasion and revolt. She said she came to free us, you know? And this, it turns out, this same guy is the poor guy that sort of like betrays Danny in the future a little bit and she cuts his head off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sadly. Which is crazy. Yeah, really unfortunate turn of events there. But these guys are arguing against him you know they've been through two slave revolts and they always end the same way the masters are in power and the slaves are dead and uh you know he's saying like you want to live the rest of your days in chains you know she'll protect us she defeated the master's champion she has a great army and they're like the guy's like i want to live you know did you see what they did to those children what what do you think they'll do to us and then gray worm enters like fucking batman infiltrating <laughs> through the from the darkness you know valar morgulis and i'm like oh shit yeah. and he's like yeah because it's right after the line um you know the master's in power and the slave's dead and then he comes in all men must die you know and he has an amazing line that's like so good it makes me emotional like just this whole concept he's like but i promise you a single day of freedom is worth more than a lifetime in chains. You know, I love it. Yeah, it's so good. And they're like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> it's like, this one is called Grey Worm. <laughs> and explains his <laughs> whole... Like, yeah, explains his, <laughs> his whole like heritage. And they're like, you're unsullied. Do you want to prove that and show us your lack of balls? No, they didn't say that, but... I kind of thought that's where it was going to go been for funny. a second. Yeah. He's like, I am unsullied. Look, this is proof. You know, and I like also in the scene too, he, after he says, you know, one day of freedom is better than a lifetime in chains. Yes. He also tells, tells them that, you know, you have to take your own freedom. You have to, you are the owner of that freedom. Mm-hmm. It's yours to take. It's and that's not going to be given saying. to you. Exactly. Yeah. In the season three it's, it's finale. Not free. So oh. I love that he kind of echoed that from Danny. Yeah, it shows she's, you know, it, it's good to have a wise leader because you can really learn from from it, you know. And it it shows that she, even though she's, even though she's young and has no experience in the ways of war, as she tell, constantly tells everybody in the books, 
Um, she's she's wise in, inherently to some degree. Although yes. uh, there there you know there are times when people may question this. <laughs> so uh, after that great line where you see says you know there's three slaves for every every master in the city no one can, no one can give you your freedom brothers if you want it you must take it and then it transitions to, you know, he oh they, i forgot they um they're like we don't have any weapons we have no training we're not soldiers and all of a sudden they're just dumping all these bags of blades down and they're everywhere like, oh my gosh <laughs> and everybody's crowding in like oh my god we can do this it's an opportunity then it cuts to outside, and one of the first things you see is "Kill the Masters" scrawled on one of the walls in blood red. And the is guys, it written in blood, it or maybe? Because <laughs> that was Probably. one of my questions of this scene: is it looks like it might be blood? Yeah, blood of the last master they killed. Probably. So the the master's walking along with his couple of his soldiers and sees it, and then all of a sudden they're surrounded. And he turns back to his soldiers, and they ran off, and uh, they must have been in on it because uh, Unsullied let them, or the the slaves let them pass without issue, <laughs> which is great. They're probably slaves too. Yeah, and uh, maybe. Yeah, and he just gets surrounded. It's it's sort of the opposite, mirroring uh, the way all the freed slaves surrounded Danny at the end of Misa, the season three finale. They all surround this guy, and instead of chanting and loving and reaching out to touch him, they're reaching out with blades and knives and stabbing him up like Julius Caesar. Tearing him up. Yeah, it too, Brutus. Classic. So yeah, yeah. that's that pretty much uh, wraps up my uh, my number five. I just love that scene, man. So good. Yeah, I do too. I also noted that when Grey Worm is introducing himself and he's talking about Danny, he, I believe, is the first one to use Breaker of Chains in her title. Yeah, this yeah, this scene, yeah, right? This scene is the first time we hear he goes, Mother, you know, Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, Mother of Dragons, Breaker of Chains. Yep. So yeah, I think really this exciting. is the first time it's added to his her title. Yeah, that was cool. I noticed that too. I forgot to um, highlight that though. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. So this is yeah the first time it's added for sure. That's great. How yeah. about your uh, number four? My number four is Craster's Keep. Nice. That's my number one. I think Craster's Chaos. I called it. <laughs> oh yeah, seriously. And what a horrid scene. I don't like this scene at all <laughs> for so many reasons. Shoot that boys! Fuck them till they're dead. Fuck them till they're dead. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, so there's like up. rape around the room. It's like anywhere you look, it's like just horrid. But I have to note that that was a very clean skull that he was drinking out of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably boiled it or something. I mean, it looks pretty crisp, I must say. So very nicely cut. We, yeah, we find that Carl Tanner is from Janali, mm -hmm. which we know is where Davos is from. And I love I said it earlier. I love when he's talking to I don't know that guy's name. Um, Rast. Rast, that's right. I love when he's talking about eating the pig and uh, Carl's like, 
we could eat you, you know, like you look like a fucking ball sack. I just like laughed out loud. I just love it. Yeah, look at your stupid cunt face. I could piss in the gutter and soak in any gutter and soak five of you. <laughs> I know it's just he's such an ass. It's it goes just, on such a crazy rant there too. I he's think like he's really wasted. drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how much they paid me to kill a man in King's Landing? Seven silvers. <laughs> None Seven of them silvers. cocksuckers got away from me. Yeah. So he's just you know talking himself up like he's super badass and yeah. <laughs> i haven't lost a fight since i was nine which i kind of believe <laughs> oh yeah 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 it's probably true and he's like maybe it's time what do you think eh? and like kicks rast he's like maybe you're the man you know <laughs> and rast is like i can't beat you <laughs> he just owned it yeah up. yeah and part of us likes this despicable Carl Tanner in this moment because Rast was a douchebag to Sam on the mm-hmm. long trek back from the fist of the first men. So, so no, we don't like Rast. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. Karma's a bitch. Yep. Oh, wasn't there, wasn't there a line from last episode where somebody said like, there's always some, someone more like someone bigger and badder or something. Um, who said that? Oh, it was, a. Uh, you're the worst shit in the world. Oh, There's always yeah. someone worse, you know? And it's and so hound. Rast, yeah, Rast learns that lesson here that, you know, he thought he was big and tough and here's fucking Carl Tanner going to gut you like a pig, boy. I'm going to gut him like a fish. Sit down. Right. So in walks the old lady with Craster's last baby and it's a boy. Yep. And we start hearing, gift to the gods, gift to the gods, gift to the gods. Yeah, chanting, brainwashed chanting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Cult-like behavior. Brainwashed, but it's also probably traumatic for all of them, because my guess is that most of them, them, if not all of them, have had a son at some Mm -hmm. point. And they all know what's going to happen, and they're all reliving kind of that pain. And I love the one that's sitting... Right next to Carl with the black eye, they focus in on her saying it, which I found interesting, and I don't really know where that would go. But she goes, "Gift to the gods," and he's like, "Shut the fuck up, everybody!" Like maybe what it was the her that was giving on? birth before. No, it was Gilly that was giving birth. Yeah. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> I don't know if those were his exact <laughs> words, but that was his sentiment. <laughs> like, shut yeah. up. This is creepy. Um, so if it worked for him, let's give the walkers what they want. Well, at first, he just thinks that Craster kills them. Right, and he pulls out his dagger. It's just like he's just going to kill this baby like it's not Nothing. a big deal. And At least Braun would ask how much. Right? Oh, God, that's <laughs> horrible. You know, and she goes, he didn't kill them. He offered them. And he goes, to who? You know, and... To the gods. To the gods. And he goes, the White Walkers. And I mean, I think there's a little bit of surprise on his face at that realization. Mm -hmm. Because he is very quick to kill the child, but hands the child over to Rast to offer it. He's like, fuck that. I'm not going out there. This is beyond me. (laughs) I'm not going out in the woods. Yeah, Rast is heading that way anyway. Yeah. He's like, I'm too drunk for this. 
I thought that was kind of foretelling on kind of his character that, you know, even crazy people have their limits. <laughs> yeah. And I, I called these girls brainwashed before. It's probably a little bit too strong because they, um, they know what's happening with the babies. They've, they know that this has potentially ensured their survival in the past. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're just, you know, they know this is what they sort of have to do. It's really fucked up. It's horrid. It's yeah. really terrible. So, you know, then we see Rast carrying. You know what I love, too, about this show is they use real babies. Yep. In a lot of these scenes. Just not real and snow. <laughs> not real snow. And I'm sure it's in some type of warm, Incubated nice, cozy environment. environment. Yeah. But... A lot of TV shows and a lot of movies use um, fake babies because babies, as a lot of us know, are extremely unpredictable and difficult Ooh. to work with. And Walking Dead would always hire twin babies to use for Judith. Oh, yeah. So yeah, have, that's like, right. One off, on screen, one off screen. They'll just switch them out if they got rowdy or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, identical twins are used a lot, like the Olsen twins in Full House. And oh, yeah. It's it's true. So I I just feel like it adds such a sense of reality to this. Yeah, it makes a big difference show. having a real. It real makes baby. a huge difference, and that was a very new baby. Yeah, it was. very new. And it, that was not a very old baby. I would say like a few weeks, maybe a month. I I wouldn't go past that. It, mm-hmm. it was quite small, and it still had that kind of like shaky that look like. To it, yeah. Um. And that cry, that's a very newborn type cry. And mm-hmm. so Before they have it any, makes like, it very capacity. real. Yeah, it's not just a lump in the snow. You, That's a baby in there and it's crying and it's really crying. Yeah. And it's not just a doughy lump like Olena's husband. <laughs> that she suffered through bearing her children with. <laughs> Endless dinners, countless dinners. Endless, countless. <laughs> um. And so he he leaves the baby, and I found it very interesting that he like covered its face. I was like, "Oh no, don't do that!" Yeah, what was <laughs> up with that? Its face. He only covers <laughs> half weird. of it. I think he was trying to keep it warm. I don't know. I think it was just like, "Don't look at me when I'm abandoning you." I don't. Oh <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but then we come across Ghost, who mm-hmm. we haven't seen very often. Thank God, folk. <laughs> and I feel so hard, horrible for ghosts because yeah. he's complete. He's just an ass. Like you're dumping water out in front of this majestic creature who's clearly starving, clearly thirsty. And I love when ghost snaps at him and he falls back and he's yep. like, fuck. Yeah. Rast used to think he was tough. Now he's like totally bitch made. Bitch made yeah. By, by ghost and by Carl and everything. It's hilarious. My my note was don't mess with ghost. Oh hell no. So the crows start crowing mm-hmm. and the wind picks up and Rast looks down and the water he had just poured out, while he did pour it out in the snow, it would not have frozen that quickly. Uh-uh. It literally freezes before his eyes, and so he's like, I better Make like a tree and get the hell out of here. <laughs> That's that white cold that they refer to where it's it's just so cold that your lungs burn and like 
do the walkers bring the cold or <laughs> does the cold bring the walkers? There's that whole question, you know? Yeah, the chicken before the egg. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like whenever walkers are approaching, they bring like just like an immense cold with them. So that's one thing that made me wonder, like um, the the white walker is carrying the baby on its way back up to the palace and uh, like that baby probably should have frozen from the, all that that cold coming off the walker. Yeah. We'll get more into that later on. Later on. So I loved it when... Like Bran and Jojen and Mira and Hodor, they're they're camping out in the woods. Clearly, they're extremely close to Craster's keep, and they don't even know it. Oh yeah. And they hear something in the woods. And they're like, "What is that?" <laughs> it's like, "Is that a baby?" Is it like Raven's claws? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <laughs> um. So. It's, I mean, what would a baby be doing out there in the woods? They Nothing are, good. <laughs> you know, very far from civilization of any sort. So Mira gets all on the defensive. Hodor starts Hodoring. Jojen is like, they're coming. Brand's like, and Brand's I'm going like, out there. I'm, I'm going out there. And Mira, you know, advises against it. But if I were in that situation, if I were Bran, I would go out there too. Hell yeah. I'm, that could be I'm in a dire wolf. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a dire wolf. I can stealth around. I'm a predator. So if I need to defend myself, I can. And I want to see what's going on. There's a baby in the woods. Like, is someone in distress or, or what? You know, so I love when Bran wargs into summer and i know hodor's eyes did this as well when he i noticed this too in, but uh summer's eyes go white for like yeah half a second. so cool and he looks so creepy mm-hmm. and beautiful and it's just like you see that transition of bran going into summer so he's sniffing around in summer and they come upon ghosts yeah he hears them in the distance he hears the howling and it's not summer and then he gets caught in a trap. And I was wondering, are these just like rabbit traps that they have out for food or like, yeah, why know. is it, why is it next to ghost? Why is this trap next to ghost? Good are question. they trying to, you know, so that, <laughs> that, you know, snaps Bran out <laughs> of, of summer. Right quick. Which, I find it kind of interesting the second Summer feels any type of pain, Bran, it's like an instant reaction to get out. Of, yeah, and of, that may of, not of normally, that may not be the case, like if Bran's used to it, but it certainly like jolted him and surprised him and he like freaked out and the connection was lost, you know? Yes, exactly. So they start sneaking up to Craster's Keep and they're kind of excited because, look, it's the Brothers of the Night's Watch. I mean... Bran just saw Ghost, so he's assuming that John is there. Right, and I'm, I just want to say, I fucking, like, pisses me off. Like, hurt animals, I don't like that, you know what I mean? So, he's like, Summer, he's hurt, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah, he's sitting there stuck in a trap, probably with, like, yeah. a broken leg, because those traps are not nice. And Mira... What kind I of trap being- did you think it was? Do you think it, like, snapped up? Or I thought it, like, almost looked like he, like, fell into it, like a spike pit or something. I, that's a good question. I imagined, because we don't really see it, I imagined mm-hmm. it was like a, 
like a tr- like a leg trap, like a bear trap type thing. Yeah, yeah, not definitely not a snare. But you're you're actually kind of right. You make a good point, Duncan, because when we're in Summer's point of view, all of a sudden we're looking upward, mm. and it could be that he's falling into a pit because he's falling. But I whatever it is, I in, don't like it. Yeah, in my point of view, I you know it's like he gets his leg trapped and he's like starts flailing and looks looks upward. Right. Yeah. So Mira, I think, is the first to realize that there's something very wrong yep. with this picture. Yeah. If they're not, if that's not the Night's Watch, at least not anymore. <laughs> yeah, because they're beating the shit out of women. I mean, <laughs> not <laughs> that's, typical that's, for that's Night's a, Watch. That's a good clue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not in Molestown. Yeah, it's just like, we need to go. We need to go now. Like, there's something totally wrong. And to your point, you know, I'm not leaving without Summer. Of yeah. course they're not going to leave without Summer. Like, mm. how could you do that? That's right. a huge part of, you know, brand. So I've know, had, like, nightmares where my whole, like, neighborhood is, like, flooded up to the neck, you know, like, up to my neck level. And I'm, like, paddling on a boogie board to, like, try to get in my house to try to save my dog. You know what I mean? Like, no fucking Aww. way I'd leave without, without my dog either. Hell no. Same here. Or I've had, <laughs> like, a dream where... Where there was like a big fucking pond in the backyard with an, like a crocodile in it, and like somehow Spunky was in there, and I like dove right into it, you know. Oh, Spunky. Yup. I have had those same thoughts, except out here in California, I dream about digging out of a pile of rubble. Oh man. Because of our earthquakes, earthquakes and whatnot. That makes sense. Yeah. So we don't we don't get weather out here. It's like. It rained like three days last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my it's I've never had a flood here either. I don't know why it's just, why that particular iteration occurred. It just did. It's interesting mm-hmm. that we have dreams like that. So Mira is going to go get Summer and gets knocked the fuck out. <laughs> like hardcore. That looked like it hurt. Mm-hmm. And then they tie Hodor up. And it makes me sad. Oh, yeah. And he's surrounded and they're all picking on him. And, and they Hodor, stab Hodor, him in the Hodor. leg. And he's like, Hodor. Hodor. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking brutal. And Rass is like, if I were as big as you, I'd be king of the fucking world. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Yeah, it is. Totally. <laughs> Sidebar, that that flooding dream, right? So I, I get uh-huh. I get into the house. I'm like on this little raft thing with like my legs dangling in the water and I'm paddling. And I finally get spunk. And I start exiting, and the water level must be like waist high because at that point, zombies enter and they're just like <laughs> splashing through the water and gnashing their jaws at us and stuff. It's, oh my goodness! It's crazy. That's yeah. hilarious. I mean, it's like scary, but <laughs> yeah, the ending yeah. is pretty Hilarious. funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it was scary for sure. Yeah. So, you know, then I think it's interesting that. Carl, you know, he's like, help help the kid up or help him up because Bran's clearly crippled mm. and can't really push himself up or sit up on his own. And, you know, he's fiddling with Mira. He's like, you remind me of my mother. I'm like, creepy. that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> with the brown curls. Yeah, with the brown curls. Yeah, so creepy. And he notices Bran's fine leather. 
Yeah, so, I mean, clearly a, a guy from Ginelli, which we've come to find out in previous episodes from Davos and Gendry, that that's kind of the lowest of the low yeah. in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, the shit flows down to <laughs> Ginelli. <laughs> Gravity takes the feces. They live down. in the sewer, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grey Worm passed them on his way to the Marini's slaves. Yes, so... Clearly, Carl is going to notice the fine leather. He also notices it's I find it funny because Mira and Jojen, while they're dressed fairly nicely, they're not dressed as nice as Bran. So Carl clearly has a gauge of it's fine leather. They're all highborn. And he's kind of wondering to himself, like, what are these young kids? Because they're they're pretty young yeah and he was even like a little mild about it like what the fuck are they doing here (laughs) yeah what are you doing up here why would you drag a crippled boy all the way up here yeah and he keeps asking who they are and nobody's really talking and and bran learned his lesson i think when sam and gilly came into the picture in the in the castle and he goes to answer like my brother was in the night's watch and jojen shushes him right away because it doesn't matter he's a quick learner you know so he clearly knows that he's not going to divulge any type of information of who he is even though his brother is in the night's watch so he's sitting there just stoic and not answering he's like you know clearly you guys don't know how to play this game and then Jojen starts having, which looks to be a seizure, but we know as a viewer that it's a vision. And Mira goes to help him and they stop her and she's like, please, please let me help him. And Bran is wigging out too. And they're, you know, he knows that Jojen needs help. And he goes, I'm Brandon Stark. I'm Brandon Stark of Winterfell. And this is a huge revelation to. Um, Rast, he goes, it's Jon Snow's brother. Right. And and Carl's like, well, I thought this was going to be another boring day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Nope. You know, so <laughs> Not quite. It's, it's an intense scene, for sure. And it's important because we come to find out in the next episode... So Jojen's vision, if I'm not mistaken, is when... So if you fast forward, when Jojen dies and the three-eyed raven tells Mira that he knew that this was going to happen the, the, you know, the whole time, the next episode is when Jojen's looking at his hand and seeing it burn. Mm-hmm. I love that part. So cool. And he's the only one that can see it. Yeah. So I think the vision that he's having in this episode is the vision of his death. Maybe. And that that whole finding the tree, and he knows that they're go- they're going to get there, but he knows that he's you know going to sacrifice his life to do it. So, so I, sorry, I didn't mean to go cut ahead. You off there. No, no, no. Go ahead. So, so you think that these are visions that he's having when he has these uh, these seizure episodes? I wasn't sure if it's like this is the vision itself or if he has visions regularly and then they take a toll on his body and it results in like symptoms like having seizures and stuff. So that's a good point. I I took it when 
The first time we see him have this seizure and Mira runs to his aid. Um, Afterwards, does he like emerge with knowledge? Well, no, because if, if, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've seen this particular episode that I'm talking about. But Bran asks Mira in the moment, is he having a vision now? And mm. she shakes her head. Yes. And then Bran says something else, and I don't remember exactly what he says, but she says to Bran, the visions take their toll. Interesting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's kind of a combination of what you said and what I'm saying is it might have started out as him just having visions. Right. But now as he has them, his whole and body over time, is like... Exactly. Over time, the visions have taken a toll on his body, so now he's having seizures while having visions right and as he's like leading up to the seizure itself he's looking rough oh, oh he's man he's like all rough. sweaty he's sweating, and like just uh pale and kind of dizzy going yeah. side to side yeah it's it's not good news for him for sure <laughs> yeah hodor so hodor <laughs> <laughs> i love hodor me too so that was my number four. Do you have any other notes on this? That pretty much covers it. That was, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that, that was pretty good. Yep, that so, was my number one too. So, what's your number four? My number four is Tyrion's champion, and that is uh, Jamie. Yes, first, his first choice for his champion. Okay, that is my number three. So we can collaborate. Awesome. So it starts off, first we see is Jamie fighting Bronn. And Jamie is looking much better with his left hand at this point. But, totally. but, but Bronn is still going pretty easy on him. They're sort of like lock blades on Jamie's left side, and they're like like stuck together, like battling with strength. And um, and they sort of make eye contact, and Bronn reaches down and grabs his, his, his golden hand off, slaps him across the face with it. What the hell was that? That was me knocking your ass to the dirt with your own hand. <laughs> with your own hand. Yeah. How fucked up is that? Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Jamie has like, a, you know, our first, that's a, just like a beautiful classic Bron line. I'm going to use that probably in the intro. This week. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think that's good. good <laughs> this choice. whole little section. And so Jamie... You know, Jamie needs this type of influence to round out his fighting style because if he fights like we're talking about, Jon Snow has the influence of the wildlings and it makes him a better fighter, like legendary status. With with Jamie's inherent talent combined with Bronn's like dirty tricks, basically, his street skills, Jamie could be a really good fighter, even with his left. Yeah, and I think it's important for him to learn those street skills because he can't, he can no longer fight the traditional way because right. he's missing a hand. So he needs to learn the nuances of fighting dirty. It's like a whole new approach. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you got to do it. You, you don't have a choice. Otherwise, you're, you're going to get killed. Like yeah. it's end of story. Exactly. So that this, this new skill set can sort of compensate for what he's lost in the, like, the capability that he had with his right. So it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully it progresses to the point where he can actually like, sort of fight. <laughs> we, maybe we'll never even see him fight, really. <laughs> you know? Well, we see him fight in Dorne True. when he goes to rescue Marcella. And, you know, again, it was kind of luck that his sword caught the, 
the sword or his hand caught the sword. But, <laughs> you know, I don't think he would have won that fight clearly if that didn't happen. But he was holding his own against the Dornish mm-hmm. pretty decently. I wouldn't say that he would have won it, yeah. but he's not a terrible. He's clearly sword getting better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, he has a moment of like lucidity, you know, where he realizes how lucky he is to be working with Braun and like how talented Braun is, and he's like, "You are rare talent," you know. And then he sort of covers the compliment with a, with an insult when you're fighting cripples, anyway, <laughs> you know, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Braun knows how good he is, you know. And uh, so does yeah, Jamie at this excellent. point. Yeah, man, what are the odds? Like, he's so lucky to have that that gift from Tyrion. And now Tyrion really doesn't need Bronn <laughs> at the moment anyway. There's nothing Bronn can do to help Tyrion. So he's full time to help Jamie. For sure. So, uh, yeah, he Bronn articulates this pretty well and says, uh, you learned to fight like a good little boy. You know, I'll bet that thrust through the Mad King's back was pretty as a picture. And, <laughs> um, you know, that's a sore spot for Jamie. So... It, it sort of pisses him off. And he's like, you want to fight pretty or do you want to win? You know? And <laughs> and <laughs> Jamie has a great line. He's like, did you talk to my brother like this? Like, like the way you're talking to me? And he's like, all the yeah. time. He got used to he it. He got used to it. <laughs> <laughs> he's savage, man. Bron has like the ultimate swagger in this show. Um, nobody has swagger like Bron except for Euro Trash Dario. Dario. Bron is one of my favorite characters. Oh yeah. Uh, he time and time again I, I kind of always forget about Braun as far as being <laughs> like a main character. Right. But anytime he's on screen, I love him. Same I here. love the dynamic he brings to what you could dub as kind of a dark show. Yep. He he's a comedic factor, an unexpected comedic factor. And he's like a dark dark element himself, but it's like dark comedy, yeah. you know what I mean? Like Exactly. Cool. I mean, he's a sellsword, so I mean, he's not really for the good of the people. He's in it for himself to get paid. But <laughs> I I enjoy him every time he has a scene, no matter who it's with. Yep, same here. He's the best. <laughs> so they sort of go on and they're discussing Tyrion at this point and um Bron asks, you know, do you think he did it? Or no, Jamie asks Bronn, like, do you think he did it? Because he had mentioned Tyrion asking him, do you speak to my brother this way? And so Bronn's like, no fucking way. You know, like, he hated the little twat. Yeah, but he's not a killer and poisoning is not his style. And like, if you know, if you want to know, like, why don't you just fucking ask him? And he realizes you haven't even gone to see him. And then he's like in his mind, you know, because Bronn has like a pretty decent moral compass. He's like, uh, he's like, that's pretty fucked up, bro. He's like, you know how I came to be with your brother in his service? He's like, yeah, you you stood for him in his trial by combat at the Airy. He's like, yeah, but only when Lady Aaron demanded the trial take place that day. You were his first choice. He named you for his champion because he knew you would ride day and night to come fight for him. So you haven't even gone to fucking see him yet? Like, what the fuck is your problem, man? Like, are you going to fight for him now? I loved <laughs> you know? that line for so sure. Good. So good. And I think that really like sort of hit Jamie in the feels and he realizes like I gotta go see Tyrion. Yeah, he's like, Oh damn it, he's yeah, right. I'm fucking up. So I wanna <laughs> I wanna back up just when you said he hated the little twat, but he didn't. <laughs> so Jamie is Joffrey's father. 
I love <laughs> right, that right, he yeah. didn't really give Braun an answer. No tells. He says, but who didn't? He wasn't like, oh, God, I fucking hated him, too. He drove me insane. He actually, like, looks down like, oh, yeah, ouch. A failure of a father. <laughs> you know, so that was <laughs> a very subtle moment. And, you know, while it's rumored at this point, Braun knows the rumors. He doesn't know that it's 100% true. So, yeah. I, I mean, he was just saying it because... It is a true statement. It's true. That and he's not like close enough to Jamie yet to to like say anything directly. To realize that that could have been like a direct insult because Jamie is his father. Yeah, yeah, but like um like he's not close enough to Jamie yet to say like to make any comments about how he's probably the real father. Like that doesn't happen until they're on the yeah. boat to Dorne. And he yeah, mentions exactly. like, like I know that I know the fucking truth, man. I know you're his dad. And like don't bullshit me, you know. After and Bron was just closer. saying it like fleetingly. You know, he wasn't right. really Right, yeah. Noticing like who he was talking to when he said everyone hated the little twat, you know, <laughs> yeah. or who didn't. And Jamie kind of like looks away and doesn't really give him an answer because if Jamie, I mean, just knowing knights and kind of like that brotherly love and men talking with men, I would, if Jamie hated Joffrey too, he was like, oh yeah, I'm so glad that he, <laughs> he's dead or, but he just like looks down quietly and mm-hmm. I thought that was a, very subtle, quick moment, a flash of Jamie's grieving because we don't really see Jamie grieve over Joffrey because yeah. he can't. Yeah, we never see it. Yeah, it's interesting. So next, it cuts to Jamie visiting Tyrion, and I'm like, thank fuck, man. Like, finally, some common sense. Like, he's he's always caught... Cersei's manipulating him, you know? She wants him to fucking kill Tyrion... She wants him to go hunt down Sansa. She's always trying to like get him to break one oath or another, like turn him into a kinslayer or turn him into an oath breaker. And Jamie, like, that's not the type of influence that anybody needs in their life. You know what I mean? So no. Bronn helps helps Jamie sort of break the conditioning and realize, like, I gotta go see my brother, you know? So they're they're sort of reconnecting and Jamie's saying, you know, to tell you the truth, this isn't so bad. Four walls, a pot to piss in. I was chained to a wooden post covered in my own shit for months. For months. <laughs> Is that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> Maybe a bit. <laughs> um, and he apologizes. They didn't come sooner, which is good. And Tyrion immediately replies, it's complicated, yes. So how is our sister? Like, he knows that Cersei's been telling him what to do, telling him not to... Uh, to see him probably train and get him to kill him to kill him which jamie admits to yeah in this scene (laughs) yep so hardcore she asked (laughs) she did ask me to it's crazy so um you know he he says well he said so how is our sister and jamie's like well how do you think her her son died in her arms and Tyrion's like her son you know because he knows it's it's jamie's son as well He's get at least is pretty sure, and um, he knows it has to be affecting Jamie as well. And Jamie's just like, "Don't you know? Like, I can't." And uh, so they t- they're talking about how he's going to be on trial for regicide, which is Latin derivative derived meaning um, king murder, basically. And um, he he's pissed because the whole bloody country thinks he's guilty. And he says he knows that one of his three ju- judges has has wished him dead more times than I, than he can count, and that's his father. <laughs> it's like <laughs> which God is awful. Damn. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some rough shit right there. 
And uh, that's what he says. As for Cersei, well, she's probably working on a way to avoid a trial altogether by having me killed. <laughs> that's that when you Jamie it. <laughs> Yeah, she did ask. Uh, should I turn around and close my eyes? Depends. Did you do it? And uh, he doesn't answer him immediately. He has sort of like a poetic little moment where he says, the Kingslayer brothers. You like it? I like it. You know? And he's like, you're really asking if I killed your son? And Jamie's classic response, are you really asking if I'd kill my brother? <laughs> Which is interesting because later on, Jamie says, after, after he thinks that Tyrion killed his son, you know, when Tyrion falsely admits it to Jamie, I killed your, your bastard son, you know. He, he says to Bronn, like, if I ever see Tyrion again, I'll cut him in half. So it sort of plays back to this particular series of questions. You're really asking if I killed your son? Are you really asking if I killed your brother? If if one is true, then the other one would be true too. Like if if he did kill your son, then maybe he'd kill his brother, you know? So um hopefully he ends up finding out Which the truth. Which may be a foreshadow because maybe Jamie doesn't ever end up killing Tyrion, but maybe he's again forced to kill Cersei. So he's going to have to be a kin slayer at some point cuz this 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 theme keeps coming up with Jamie mm-hmm. about murdering his family. Yeah, like he already killed a cousin. Yep. Yeah. So, and it's it's come up a few times with Tyrion and Jamie and Cersei wanting him to kill Tyrion. And, so fucked up. You know, it's like I I mean, there's not really much theory behind my statement, but it could be a foreshadow. I mean, I Jamie leaves Cersei in season seven. Yep. He leaves her. Yep. He's gone. Finally. So he's you released go, himself from <laughs> I mean guy. His change chains mm-hmm. at this point, you know, where we are at currently. So it's a possibility. Definitely. Yeah, he is in a form of bondage for sure. Mm-hmm. It's like a sort of like a Stockholm type thing where <laughs> she's manipulating him and controlling him and he's in love with her. But it's not really Stockholm because he loved her first and then she used the love to manipulate him and everything like yes. that. So. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's a terrible situation to be in. So um, he asks, how can I help you to Tyrion? He's like, you can set me free, bro. You know, he's... <laughs> He's like, he's like, what do you what do you want me to do? Kill the guards, sneak you out of the city? Like, I'm the Lord Commander of the King's Guard, man. Like, I can't do that. And he's like, I'd hate for you to do something inappropriate. Yeah, it's treason. Yeah. Free you. Yeah, it's brutal. Which I find it funny because he ends up freeing Tyrion. Yeah, he anyways. ends up figuring out a way and making it happen. And that that is another big moment of redemption in his arc, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a really good moment for Jamie, and it sucks that that moment is sullied by Tyrion falsely, uh, like claiming to have killed Joffrey, which like creates that rift between them, which still hasn't been resolved. No, you're right; it has not been. So hopefully, here they have a minute to talk before Jamie, you know, busts out Widow's Whale or whatever sword he'll be using. <laughs> Ugh. Oh my. Yeah. And so um he's convinced that, you know, he's going to be that everybody thinks he's guilty, they're going to kill him and he's like, "Well, that's why we're having a trial, you know, like But it's even though it's not going to be like a legit trial. No. Cersei's already it's bribing people. It's a sham though. trial. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he, yeah, he says so much too. If the killer, even if the killer threw himself before the Iron Throne, confessed to his crimes, and gave irrefutable evidence of his guilt, it wouldn't matter to Cersei. She won't rest until my head's on a spike. And uh, she, does this happen in the show where she like puts out word to like whoever delivers her Tyrion's head that they'll yes. be, yeah, they'll be it does. given a, a keep and a and a knighthood or whatever, a lordship. Yes, it does. She's down with Kyburn in one scene, and some people bring the head of a dwarf, and it's not Tyrion, and Kyburn goes to her, shall we have them executed? And she goes, no, we don't want to... Deter uh, people from bringing yes. more heads. <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's true. She won't rest until she has his head on a spike. <laughs> oh, my God. A witch. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I would have replaced the. I would have turned the W ninety degrees to the left and then added a straight line on the left <laughs> side. Bitch. So um, they continue talking, and the um, Jamie brings up that she's also offering a knighthood to whoever finds Sansa Stark, and Tyrion is a hundred percent confident. Like Sansa could not have done this. She has more reason than anybody. But she's not a killer. Not yet, anyway. And cue the next scene is Littlefinger and Sansa. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was great. I love And that. I loved how she like sort of reciprocated the same feelings about Tyrion. She's like, nope, it wasn't Tyrion. I just know it. You know what I mean? And I just it, know it. It sort of yeah. symbolized this like this sort of developing connection that they were starting to make between each other, like right at the last moment that they were together, you know? <laughs> Where they're like starting to understand each other's characters and everything, and she comes to respect him. Absolutely. Yeah, she she just knows that he wasn't the one that did it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just love the show. Even this show is so amazing that even the transitions mean something. Yep. It happens more often than not that transitions are huge clues. And it's really come to my attention in doing this rewatch with Game of Microphones that that's the case. I've totally. seen the show so many times. I never really paid attention to the transitions, but watching them with a with an eye of you know taking notes on them, <laughs> the transitions are extremely foretelling, and it ha- it happens in the earlier seasons. It happens in in the later seasons. And there's probably stuff we can't even pick up on until the series is over. You know exactly. And so season eight, I am going to pay attention to transitions Good of of scenes. If they're talking about people like Tyrion's talking about Sansa, Sansa's not a killer. Well, not yet anyway. And then they cue Littlefinger and Sansa together. And we, we all know what happens. Yep. And she sentences him to death. Yeah. She's, she's the one that passes the sentence. So I'm certainly going to keep that in mind while watching season eight. Good call. Good call. So that pretty much uh, wraps up everything I wanted to say about um, Jamie and Tyrion and Bronn. Tyrion's champion, Jamie. I just really thought that was a powerful moment where he's like, he knew that you would travel days, you know, to come and protect him. Like, what the fuck are you going to do now, man? Like, he's counting on you. You're just going to let him rot in a dungeon and not even go see him or not even ask the question yourself? Like, he believes in you and you're just going to throw him under the bus? 
yeah it's, yeah it's brutal Bron it's like Bron's a, that was the real slap in the face with his with his hand you know like the slap across the face right he got literally slapped and then figuratively slapped totally totally awesome so uh how about you what's your was it number four? Oh no number three for you what's your number three that was my number three the Kingslayer oh, as brothers. well right yes cool yes so what that was your number three that was my number four so my my number three is confessions Ooh, okay and uh it's sort of a dual thing because we have a couple important confessions um taking place in this episode one of which is Littlefinger confessing his motives to Sansa, and the second is um, Elena confessing to Marjorie that she was responsible for the murder of Joffrey. Yes, okay. So we talked a little bit about Sansa and Littlefinger on the boat, but that's right where we are now. Perfect. So let's just roll with that. Okay, this is my number one. Cool. The teacher and the student. Nice, nice. titled it. So um, we learn that Peter Baelish, I mean, we knew he was going to be marrying Liza, but Sansa learns and that, that, and that they're going to be heading to the Eyrie and that she'll be safe. So now we think that Sansa and Arya are destined to be reunited, yes. which is yes. funny. We know it's not going to happen that soon. But so Sansa is at the Eyrie when Arya and the Hound are at the gate, at the bloody gate. Yep. Yeah, she is. She's already there. Yeah, so they're literally like a mountain away from each other. <laughs> totally. So how about you st- You talk about, um, like, go through your number one, and then I'll talk a little bit about Marjorie and Olenna, since I just went through my whole number four there. Oh, okay. Um, so I labeled this the teacher and the student because Sansa's learning Littlefinger's tricks. And Littlefinger thinks he's teaching Sansa the ways of the world. So Mm -hmm. he's quite arrogant in thinking (laughs) that Sansa is not truly picking up on exactly what he's talking about. So she knows that he has something to do with Joffrey's murder. And, you know, to... Littlefinger's point, he says, a man with no motive is a man no one suspects. And Sansa's like, that's bullshit. You wouldn't kill the king to throw off your enemies. You know, (laughs) this this isn't adding up. So Littlefinger always has great quotes in this show. You know, if they don't know who you are or what you want, they can... They can't know what you plan to do next. Yep. So I find this a very interesting quote because this is a great foreshadow of exactly what Sansa does to Littlefinger in season seven. Ooh, how so? How so? So Littlefinger thinks he's pinning Arya and Sansa against each other. Oh, right, right, right. And Arya and Sansa play that game with him. They act like Sansa's snooping through her shit, finding all the faces, because you never know if Littlefinger's watching or the little birds are watching or who's watching. So they are playing the game Mm -hmm. and throwing Littlefinger off. So 
he doesn't think that they have a motive to kill him. And he is at Winterfell in season seven. He's plant. He's trying to plant the seed in Sansa's head that Arya wants to be the Lady of Winterfell. Right. Sansa knows her sister. That is the last thing Arya would ever want would be the Lady of Winterfell. Yeah, like, as she would say, that's not me. Exactly. <laughs> so Sansa at this point in Winterfell knows that Littlefinger is trying to pin them against each other, which is when I think they secretly, and it's secret to the audience as well, decide to go after Baelish. So this is very foretelling in this particular scene in this episode because, you know, Lord Baelish doesn't think Sansa has a motive to kill him. Baelish doesn't really know what Sansa wants, and he's guessing what Arya wants, and he guesses wrong. And that's that's what kills him. Damn. And they, they can't know what you plan to do next. So he thinks he's all like high and mighty and above Sansa because she's this stupid little girl who never listens. She's been listening this whole time, this whole series to Baelish. Totally. And uses his lessons against him. This is the first major lesson I think that Littlefinger teaches Sansa that she's actually picking up on nice. and thinking and thinking about it. Like this makes no sense. You wouldn't kill the king. You've seen what happens to people who go after the Lannisters. You know, you would risk dying to just throw them off. So many men, they risk so much. Yeah. They spend their lives avoiding danger, and then they die. I'd risk everything to get what I want. And then, you know, and she's like, well, what do you want? And he goes, everything. everything. And it's super creepy because he's like... Touching her. Too close. Yeah, he's too close. Yeah, right when he says, I'd risk everything to get what I want, he's like reaching out to like touch her. <laughs> yeah, and... Too close, I, man. I mean... We assume that Sansa is still pretty naive and stupid at this point, but I think she she gets that vibe when he says everything that includes her. Mm -hmm. So I love that, you know, he goes into making new friends and his new friends wanted Joffrey dead and nothing like a thoughtful gift to make his new friendship grow strong. I noticed that too for the first time. He's totally telling her in code, growing strong, the words of House Marta or Tyrell. Yeah, so again, I like watching it with a first-time viewer perspective. This is a huge clue. Yeah, it is. That the Tyrells are his new friends and are responsible. Totally. And Olena like 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 made a big deal out of that line a couple episodes ago um fire and blood winter is coming you know hear me roar these are all strong words growing strong yeah you know like our words are kind of yes. like, kind of suck you know so so we know as viewers Which that growing so strong is associated <laughs> with her house and then he sort of codedly says it here yes awesome. so i loved that i can't believe i never noticed that before and then the next scene, <laughs> again with the transitions, yep, cuts perfect. to Elena and Marjorie. Yep. 
which in my notes I dubbed as the Tyrell Roses. Nice. <laughs> if I have to take one more leisurely stroll through these gardens, I'll fling myself from the cliffs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the, the Queen of Thorns is great, right? She is. She's awesome. Yeah. So she asks if, if Marjorie has gone and to see Tommen yet, and she says no. And then they, uh, she goes over this story about how she was originally supposed to marry somebody else, uh, some Targaryen or other. And I was thinking, Aemon? You know, maybe it was Aemon Targaryen. Oh, that maybe. Interesting. Because they're both, like, ancient. And... Um, Marrying a Targaryen was all the rage back then. But, but, but I the loved moment, that. Yeah, but the moment she saw her intended with this twitchy little ferret's face and ludicrous silver hair, I knew he wouldn't do. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> she like sneaks into to um, Luther's chambers the night before he was supposed to propose to her sister. She got lost on her way back from her embroidery embroidery lesson. How absent-minded of me! It's a hilarious quote by her. <laughs> And uh, she basically says that he couldn't even make it down to for the proposal the next morning because he couldn't bloody walk. <laughs> Saddle sores, awesome. if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, hilarious. And she's like, I was good. Very good. But you are even better. And this is what I've been talking about with the <laughs> Marjorie's skills <laughs> that Elena teaches her. Yes, absolutely. She's teaching her the art of seduction. Yeah, so funny. And we find out in this scene, too, that we know that Marjorie has been rumored to not be a virgin. Right. And so we find out in this scene that the women of Highgarden are not known to be virtuous. Mm, True. So, you know, she's... She's supposed to get married to this Targaryen. She goes and has sex with her sister's intended. <laughs> it would have been. Before they're married. And we know that Marjorie has some type of experience because in the episode where Marjorie and Sansa are walking through the gardens talking about Tyrion and Marjorie's schooling Sansa, you know, it takes a lot of a lot of effort to make us happy right yeah Which, who taught you that your mother exactly so <laughs> like yeah totally I mean, my sweet yes little dove my whatever. mother taught me you know and it's it was actually my grandmother yeah so it's very telling i mean we still don't know if marjorie was promiscuous or had been promiscuous we know that she never was consummated by Renly because he was gay. So it's still a mystery that Marjorie was truly a virgin or not a virgin when she consummated the marriage with Tommen. Well, we know Anne Boleyn was not a virgin. Oh, no. She was sleeping with Tom Wyatt, right? (laughs) Yes. She was sleeping with a few guys. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm wondering, like, to what extent does Lady Olena teach her? Is is she, like, standing by watching in the bedroom, like, move your hips this way, do this, do this, do that, you know? (laughs) What level of uh, involvement has she had? Because she was like, after what I gave him, that's all he wanted, you know? And I was good, but you're even better. So I was like, how do you know that? Like, are you, because you were just talking about, like, sex specifically. Yeah. Like, if if you're talking about just general wiles and tactics, that's one thing, but... You seem to know that she's really good at sex, you know? (laughs) 
maybe they've talked about it. Yeah, in I the mean, past. it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Lady Olena literally is like giving her like a step by step of like how to control people. Imagine being the guy in that situation, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man! Oh goodness! <laughs> so go on. <laughs> um. So they uh, basically, she's like, "You need to act quickly. You know, you gotta, you gotta go and wrap your tendrils around that little Tommins, you know what, and never like, let him escape." And um. Cersei may be vicious, but she's not stupid. She'll turn the boy against you as soon as you can, as soon as she can. And by the time you're married, it'll be too late. So she makes immediate moves. Like she she goes to see him that night. But uh, before we get to that, she's she says, um, luckily, you know, the the Queen Regent's distracted, mourning her dear departed boy, accusing her brother, you know, of a murder which he didn't commit. And Marjorie's like, well, you know, he could have done it. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he could have, but he didn't. You, know? you don't know, grandmother, but I do. You don't think I'd let you marry that beast, do you? Oh, yes. And Marjorie is like, holy fuck. I know her eyes are just like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, what? I, I, I don't understand. Shh. Don't you worry yourself about all that. You just do what needs to be done. And yeah, like you said, her eyes are wide looking at her. And I don't normally notice people's like eye colors in general, but she has very beautiful eyes. <laughs> and I was, I was noticing them. Blue. Yeah, blue and yes. like they get darker around the edges of the iris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very beautiful eyes. Um, Piercing. So that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's uh, quite attractive. So good, nice shot of her here. And um, just a crazy confession. And the other thing about this is that it's it's pretty messed up. Like it's kind of messed up for for Lady Olena to tell her this at all, because it's risky. It's it's stripping Marjorie of her plausible deniability. Exactly. You know, so it puts her in a position where she could be like forced to divulge information. Like if Olena's being tortured, or like somebody could be being tortured, and they're asking or Marjorie's Marjorie for being tortured. And, yeah. So. She no longer has plausible deniability, which is something you always want to maintain if you're committing crimes. Not that I know from experience. Um, oh, God. You know, I'm just, you know, plausible deniability. Everybody knows that, right? So I do love in that scene where she goes, you don't think I'd let you marry that beast, do you? Right. And Elena is playing with Marjorie's necklace. Right. Yeah. She, yeah. Which just like looks, she was with Sansa's. It's not... It's not super similar, but it still has that like three teardrop look. Mm -hmm. So, and she's playing with the same side that she picked the poison off of. Yep, and that's a clue for like the viewers, basically. Because yes, it's uh, we did find out right before that in the previous scene with Littlefinger, he divulges that the poison was in her necklace, and that Sansa actually did play a part in the murder. So if, if if Sansa already didn't like Baelish, at this point, she should be like, well, what the fuck? Why did you involve <laughs> me in this? You know what I mean? Why did you put the poison on my necklace, you asshole? You know? I know. Seriously. such a dick move. And he thinks it's like, okay, just to tell her, like, she'll get over it. You know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> kind of funny. She never does because she ends up killing him. Yup. And, and she's, you know, she's like, you made me wear a necklace. I'm going to have your, your neck slit. 
it's funny because Littlefinger is so calculated and reads people really well. And it seems like I know Sansa is a Stark, but she's his her mother was a Tully. And it's like the Tullys are his Achilles heel. That's so true. So true. It's his one. They're all his downfall. Um, Her uncle Brandon cut him from, you know, from from navel to neck or whatever. And then she cut him from uh, (laughs) from jugular to carotid. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, technically it was Arya, but it was on her command. Yes. On your command. On your command. (laughs) So that was your number three. Yep. That pretty much wraps that up. I think we covered every angle that I can think of for that. Um, just Peter Baelish is Sansa's current life coach, and uh, Mar and uh, Elena is Marjorie's current life coach. <laughs> That's so true. Hilarious. So, uh, what's your number two? My number two is when John meets Locke. All right. Yeah, that's fun. So we get a glimpse of Castle Black. It looks like they're starting to prepare for the siege, and. John, even though he's a steward, which Alistair so kindly reminds him of in the scene, he's teaching the Rangers how to disarm a man with two weapons. And it's great to just like seeing him step up into like a leadership role. Yes. And he's respected. The, the guys like him, which is a was it's a great contrast of when he first got to the wall and people thought he was like a pompous highborn asshole. Mm-hmm. And now they're tapping into that knowledge to make themselves better. So I thought that that was a nice coup to his growth and development as a character to this point. And so he's teaching them how to disarm a person with two weapons because the wildlings, many wildlings fight with two weapons (laughs) and you want to disarm down to one to make it a, you know, more even playing field. Mm-hmm. And he's divulging like enemy com- enemy uh, tactics, essentially evening the playing field, giving the Night's Watch actually a little bit of an advantage, potentially knowing what, what strategies their enemies will use. So that's good to see as well. Yeah, great point. Great point. He's definitely, ex- he's definitely growing into the leader of the Night's Watch. Although he gets shut down right quick by Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> Go find a chamber pot to empty. Oh, fucking <laughs> fuck you, man. Mormont's not here. John almost hits him. He's so close. I know. He's like, do it. Bastard son of a traitor. Do it. Yeah. Give me a reason. Mormont's not here to protect you now. Right. And it's like, oh, God, I would be so pissed. Mm-hmm. Just be like, I don't know. I don't know. Would it be worth it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Totally. And so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I was going to mention Ollie, but if we're not there yet, well, I can wait. Not quite. Or wait, we we can talk about Ollie right now because I was going to jump to Locke unloading on the guy. So let's okay, talk yeah. about Ollie. Yeah. Um, so basically, Ollie is there and, and he's like, I can fight, you know, let me let me try, basically. And they convince him. Or <laughs> so John's like, have you ever held a sword before? You know, he's like, I was the best archer in our hamlet. <laughs> Which they is all kind of giggle. <laughs> but it, it foreshadows his uh, his Igrit kill shot. Absolutely. Where he proves that he like is a pretty good archer, you know. So Absolutely. Just, just a funny little foreshadow there. 
And I love Gren. He believes him. He goes, I believe you. We'll go hunting for rabbits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one day. Right now, watch and learn, you little bitch. And all the look on Ollie's face. That's <laughs> kind of the yeah, it's kind of the first hint of anger. Yeah, and like resentment. Resentment, yeah. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, good 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 catch there. So now John is kind of watching he's pairing the guys up together and Locke is paired up with an unfortunate soul <laughs> <laughs> who looks like he has the advantage. Honestly, like that guy looks like he'd whoop Locke's ass. Yes. He's a bigger guy and Locke is new. So we have, you know, from a night's watch perspective, we have no idea what he's capable of his skill level. I mean, we've seen him cut off Jamie's hand. Yeah. But even as viewers, we've never seen him like fight. Really? We we've only seen him like, cut a hand off a guy who is being held down by other people you know we don't know if we can if he can hold his own and get a shave with the bolton yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we we don't really know what he's capable of and Locke just unloads on the guy yeah. i mean they were like take it easy and he's like fuck this that guy goes hard at Locke though like i bet he wouldn't have fought as hard if that guy wasn't like really trying to fucking fuck him up sure and he i mean he was dodging and swaying and whacking him on the back and then he does like that Achilles or not the Achilles but like the back of the knee um, oh, yeah, swipe and just freaking knocks him out I mean just out Drops cold and with a left cross John's like you know how to fight and he goes yeah and you know he's like well you kind of could have gotten a little easier on him and to Locke's point this is a very true statement you'll never learn anything that way <laughs> yeah and I loved that. This is very true. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like baptism by fire. If you can't defend yourself to a better foe, then you're dead. Yes. Like, that's it. End of story. Totally, totally, totally. So he'll, he'll try harder next time, the guy laying knocked out on the floor, and I, maybe take it more seriously. Definitely. I really didn't expect Locke to be this good. Neither did I. I was quite surprised. Did you, did you notice like the crazy crease marks on the on Locke's face? I don't know if they it's part of the makeup or if the actor has these features naturally, but there are these two like crevasses that kind of drop down from the co- the outside corners of each of his eyes towards down towards his uh his his cheeks. It looks like yeah. tear streaks kind of. Yeah, I noticed that. I I'm wondering if that's makeup to represent like scarring maybe. They're aging. They're perfectly symmetrical, so I think that it's like um like an aging type thing. Yeah, it makes him look pretty rugged. Dangerous. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so what else? Um Janos, good old Janos Slint. He actually makes a decent what's the word I'm looking for? Strategic point to Alistair. Yeah, he John. makes a decent point that the the Knights Watch like John and they don't like Sir Alistair. Yeah. And that this is a problem because Mormont is dead and Eamon is eventually going to demand a new Lord Commander is selected. And whether Alistair likes it or not. I think in this world, up in up at this wall, this democracy is going to be 
leaning towards kind of popularity. It's interesting too. Uh, Slint is the first person to see it coming that John's going to be the Lord Commander. Yeah, it's his only intelligent moment of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his idea to Alistair is to let John go take care of the mutineers because mm. let let the mutineers take care of John cuz Janos <laughs> yeah. is completely writing John off as just not He's the bastard son of a traitor. Like, he would never know how to fight. Dude, this guy has been with the wildlings for the past, like, I don't he even know how half many hand. months. He killed Corn Halfhand in single combat. He went around with the wildlings and learned how to fight. Janos has no idea what a warrior John is becoming. Right, and maybe he doesn't even know that he has Valyrian steel, which gives him a big edge. That's true. I That's never mentioned, so... I mean, likely he probably knows, but... Yeah, probably. could not know. Um, so, I would say that this is Janos's only... Like, legitimate moment of intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. So, we cut back over to Locke and John... And John kind of asked him, you know, like, why are you here? And I love Locke's sentiment of, oh, you know, I just wanted to come up here and do my duty of, you know, protecting the realm, which is kind of funny because that's really the true reason why he's up there is to do his duty to Roose Bolton. Oh, yeah, just not the duty he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, so he makes up some story about, you know, raiding field, I think, or doing something. I don't even remember. Do you remember? Uh, it was something about like feeding his children or doing something for his oh, family. Oh, he uh, he he was a hunter in the stormlands, and he fed a prized partridge to his his kids, basically, and had the choice oh, of okay. losing a hand or joining the Night's Watch. And he's like, "Fuck those kids! I'm joining the Night's Watch. I'm keeping yeah. my hand." <laughs> okay, yeah. So so Locke so Locke is lying. To John about you know how he got there about killing the partridge. He abandoned his, his family. family. To <laughs> he abandoned his family because he didn't want to lose his hand. Wouldn't you rather lose a hand and still be there to take care of your kid? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know, but I find it <laughs> funny because when they go to shake hands, we get a close up of Locke's hand, and he goes, "You know, I'm Locke," and he goes, "I'm oh, Jon Snow." True. And interestingly enough, Locke is the one that took. Jamie's hand. Oh yeah, he's all, yeah. Ooh, there's more to that in the books. The character that Locke is taking the place of in the on the show in the books, it's a guy named Vargo Hote, and he's like kind of like a well-known sadist. He's like sort of obsesses with cutting people's limbs off, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gross. Okay, well that makes sense, but I just I love that you know kind of coup. He's lying about being up the wall. He's, you know, he is doing his duty. He tells a story about losing a hand, and he's the one that does huh, cut off Jamie's that's hand. That's true. Good point. I never even connected that. So I loved that, like, you know, it's just little stuff like this that, you know, it's neither here nor there if you do or don't pick up and on didn't, it. And didn't he it, offer Jamie, like, he lured Jamie over to the block by saying, we have partridge on the fire, like, come eat your fill. <gasps> Is that right? Something like that, right? 
Well, I know that he offered him food, but I'm not sure if it was part. Oh my gosh, I have to go back and look because that's such a great point. That is so true. (laughs) I think you're right. That's a great revelation. That's hilarious. So he basically tells Jamie's story to John of (laughs) why he's at the wall. (laughs) Oh man. And then my last note about my number two is, you know, I thought going up to the wall, I wouldn't have to suck up to any highborn cunts. <laughs> Guess I was wrong. Wrong, Alistair. <laughs> Thorn. And he's like freaking screaming in the background like a lunatic. Yeah. Back to work. I said get back to work. Rawr. I know. He's just an asshole. Him and Janos. He's great at playing that role. Again, they yeah, like, he every is. casting is perfect in this show. It like, is. Love to hate roles. You know what I mean? Totally. So do you have any more notes about this scene? Um, Not about that specific scene, but there's other scenes at the wall that we, we can cover later on. Okay, cool. So that pretty much wraps up my number two. Cool. My number two was Oathkeeper, which we already discussed okay. as well. Awesome. So uh, let's see. We, did, we already did your number one, right? Yes. Yeah, so we're at your number one. And we already did mine on number one also, Craster's Chaos. Awesome. Oh, that's right. Okay. So let's, uh, let's jump into our notes. Cool. Okay. So what notes do you have? Let's see. Oh, my first note starts off at the beginning of the episode, which is a scene where Grey Worm is now learning to read, being taught by Masande. Yes. And uh, this is a cool parallel because we have Davos being taught to read by Shireen. But this is also very disturbing because Shireen gets burned to death. And this scene where we find out that, that Grey Worm is being taught by Masande starts off with uh, flames. <laughs> oh, wow. So, Good catch. So I'm now very worried for Masande. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And I'm hoping that she doesn't, you know, die a horrible death. And her village was burning. She's telling the story to oh, Grey yeah. Worm about what she remembers of Narth and you know, she remembers pulling away from the shore and how white the beaches were and how tall the trees and I remember my village burning. Yeah, it's really creepy. Um so <laughs> naturally Grey Worm who's who's just learning is encountering some of the same struggles <laughs> As Davos, where he's like, um, he's not saying things right. When they took you. And she's like, when did they take me? You know, and that's when she goes on to describe yes. what you were just saying and the smoke rising into the sky. And as she says that, they're both sitting sort of like at the end of a table so that there's nothing in between them, but they're both like kind of resting their arms on the table, Grey Worm's left arm and her right arm. And as she's describing this horrible experience, Grey Worm kind of like, like, um, What's that movie? Um, fuck. Or like, like the the hand in the Adams family, like his hand like crawls forwards a little oh, bit, yeah. <laughs> like inching its way towards Miss Ande, and she like pulls back, like ah. What's that movie that I'm talking about though? That was like, like the late '90s, where like this dude has a hand that just like does what it wants. I have no idea. Oh my god. <laughs> Like, he'll be, like, making out with someone and his hand will go to, like, strangle them, you know? Like, he's like, no! <laughs> you know I, mean? I don't even have a clue what you're talking about. It's great. It's classic. You should watch it. Oh, 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 it's called Idle Hands. So, sadly, she asks Grey Worm, do you remember your home? 
And he's just like, shakes his head, unsullied. Always unsullied, you know, before unsullied, nothing. And like, that's fucking brutal, man. Because that yeah. existence must just be horrible. Ugh. And she goes, that's not true. Yeah, per- perhaps one day you'll return to the Summer Isles. He's like, I don't want to return. I just want to kill the masters, kill the masters, kill the masters. And that's what they're about to go do, basically, in the next scene, which is kind of cool. Yes. But um, I don't know. Do they talk on the show about like the the um, chemical treatment that the um, Unsullied undergo? No, they do not. So it's kind of interesting. Um, they basically are they're you know they're neutered essentially when they're young and they're trained. But one of the other things that they're subjected to is being given consistently like a regimented dosing of this this medicine, which numbs pain basically oh interesting yeah so when we first meet the unsullied and the krasny's monastus the slave dealer walks over to them the the trainer and he grabs that guy's nipple and like you know cuts it off with his dagger yeah really gnarly scene that's that's that guy probably felt nothing because over like a series like over x amount of time when you're on this this substance that they feed them um your your pain goes down to like nothing basically and you become just like a a painless robot robotic like brute that will never stop fighting because you'll never feel your your arm being cut off or your your broken hand or whatever it is like you'll just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting until you're dead because there's nothing holding you back so crazy yeah when danny frees them they basically have obviously have the option to stop this regiment. And so they sort of become mortal fighters again in some respects, although they remain as talented as, as they once were. Um, They are no longer like superhuman as far as it comes as like, as far as feeling pain. Right. So read the books to see if that is important. (laughs) Read the books. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting little fact there. Um, just made me, I don't know what made me think of that, but something something made me think of that. So Danny walks in, and uh, how are the lessons coming? Very well, Your Grace. Miss Andes teach your good, my queen. <laughs> <laughs> and Danny kind of like looks over at Miss Sande like. You know. <laughs> and okay. it's funny too because. Uh, because it's like obviously she's not that good. If you if you if you're like fucking up your your language, your you know your 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 skills, your English skills. But at the same time, he 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 loves Miss Sunday. You know what I mean? So he he's just like he's gonna say she's good no matter what because she she's a good person, and she is good. Like he's she's learning and everything, but it's just not quite as well as as he's projecting. You know, like he's yeah. Making- and we don't really have a time frame either of how long they've been working on English. True, true, true. Or I should say Westerosi the, or whatever the common tongue. Yeah, the common tongue. Um, and I love Barristan's face kind of behind Danny. Oh, I missed it. What is it like? Uh, he just, he's smiling in approval, but also kind of chuckling at his, you know, Masande is teacher good. <laughs> and he just kind of smiles like, you know what? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first um, we get of the Grey Worm Masande connection, you know? So this is cool to see. 
Yeah, I noted that as, you know, Danny says, you know, I'm afraid you're going to have to stop because it's time. And Grey Worm goes to leave the tent. He looks back at Masande and like hesitates and then walks out. (laughs) Remember that scene where they're in like the river and he sees her boobs and then he just like shrinks down into the water. (laughs) I think this is after, I think that scene is after this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just so yeah, funny the way like, he like staring at her. He's like, ooh, boobies. Bust in, and then he's just like, <laughs> like deflates down into the water, and like bubbles are coming up. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so it's true. sad. Yeah, oh, I like man. their little their little relationship. <laughs> yeah, and I like her big um, heart. <laughs> I thought you were totally going to say something else. Yeah, I totally was. Um, yeah, so just a fun scene. We get to see another person learning how to read and, and speak, and uh, it's just really cool. I like their dynamic, and it's going to be fun to watch them progress as their relationship blossoms. Yes, I I do. It's, it's the start of that for sure, this scene. Mm-hmm. So what else you got? Next is uh, Danny ascending the Great Pyramid of Marine after after the slave uprising. And uh, it's it's a really cool scene as she's climbing the ladder, kind of as these like switchback steps to this road are moving higher and higher, and she's going up to the top of the pyramid. And uh, it's, it's like sort of symbolic of her climbing the ladder, I would say. And um, Oh, yeah, she, good catch. She... Says she asks Sir Jorah, remind me, how many children did the great masters nail to mileposts? 163, Your Grace. Yes, that was it. And then Barristan, like, kind of knows where she's going with it. And he knows about the Mad King. So he's going to try to deter her from doing anything too harsh. And he's like, uh, Your Grace, may I have a word? The-, the city is yours. All these people, they're your subjects now. Sometimes it's better to answer injustice with mercy. And she says, I will answer injustice with justice, you know, and like no change in her mind. And it's kind of ominous because it's, you know, it's a lot of people she's about to kill. And uh, it's maybe foreshadowing a dark side of Danny that people should be rightly worried of with any Targaryen, you know. Yeah, and I think she has a little bit of that in her because Definitely. even Tyrion, as her hand is constantly cautioning her against just going out and decimating with her dragons, and even John kind of echoes that sentiment with her down at the beach in season seven when he's like, if you just go in around burning cities to the ground, it's just more of the same. Mm-hmm. You know, so... She's definitely a Targaryen, that's yeah. for sure. And nobody's perfect, so what matters, like um, like Tywin was telling Tommen in the past episode, is that people, you know, a good king will listen to his advisors. You yes. Know? And so what, what makes Danny a good leader is that she surrounds herself with people like that, with Tyrion, with Jon, people who can see the dark side coming out and temper her and make her better and improve her 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 um mentality and and the way that she goes about being a ruler and that's one thing that sets her aside like apart from from other leaders is that she listens to everybody 
if they don't have a better solution, she comes up with a better solution. But if they do have a, a good solution, she'll listen, you know, and if she determines that exactly. their, their ideas are right and just, she will go along with it because it's the right thing to do. And um, yeah, I like Danny. She's great. Yeah, she she has that great ebb and flow. She has that fiery, no pun intended, <laughs> that fiery <laughs> personality of, you know, I'm going to state my worth. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to murder my enemies. I'm going to do it. I don't <laughs> care. I want to get ahead. I want to conquer. But then when she's respectfully advised against it, she weighs the options. Yep. And I, I do like in season seven because she's following Tyrion's advice and she starts losing the war. And I think it's right after the Greyjoy fleet is destroyed. John's on the beach and she's like, I have three freaking dragons. I'm out here on an island. I am like, why am I here? I'm losing this battle. I just want to go into King's Landing and freaking blow up Cersei and be done with it. Yeah. And that's when John kind of tells her, you know, if, if you do that, it'll, it'll just be more of the same. And she's like, well, what do you suggest that I do? And in that in that scene, she actually kind of goes against what she's being advised, but she tones it down. Mm. You know, she doesn't go and blow up King uh, King's King City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So instead of going and you know lighting King's Landing on fire like a freaking match, she decides to target a, a specific section of her enemies that are the enemy, not the yeah that are Tarleys. <laughs> Yes, Tarleys <laughs> and the ar- the army, you know, who they're yeah. fighting, the Lannister army. It's it's the military people. It's the mm. military. Sadly, though, she destroys all those supplies that were going to be feeding all the homeless citizens. And, and the, the gold. Citizens. Yeah. Well, maybe not the gold. The, oh, the gold is recovered or, you know, retrieved by Jamie. They managed to get that in the, into the city at, in time. They do. Yeah, because that's what Cersei uses to pay off the Iron Bank. Oh, that's right. And You're I'm, right. I'm, I'm wondering when was what happened with the Greyjoy fleet? I don't remember it being destroyed. It got destroyed at Casterly Rock. Oh, shit. So they 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 carry the Unsullied on the Greyjoy fleet. Wait, was it the Greyjoy? Yeah, it was the Greyjoy fleet. Um led by Yara because that's why Theon and Yara are on the boat oh okay so that segment of the Greyjoy fleet because Yara I was thinking Euron's portion oh no yeah Yara I should have been more specific Yara Yara's section of the fleet the fastest ships and (laughs) so she hears of this because Tyrion goes up to her as her and Jon are walking out of the cave and she's like What's going on? And he goes, well, we took Casterly Rock. And she goes, well, that's good to hear. And they like kind of look at her and they <clears> tell <throat> her off off screen, you know, well, the Greyjoy fleet was destroyed. So she's like storming up the beach and she's like, I'm yes. sitting on this island. I have three fucking dragons. 
my wasting time like with fleets (laughs) my art yeah my fleet just got destroyed why am i not using my biggest weapon yeah like this is stupid and they're still kind of advising against it but she she takes their advice and instead of going straight into king's landing and just lights everything up she targets it to a specific the actual fighting men that are at war and avoiding as many innocent casualties as possible. Yeah, actual combatants, enemy combatants, instead of, yeah, Correct. collateral damage. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Good move. She's not dropping bombs on the city. She's dropping bombs on the army. And right. that's, for a Targaryen, that's kind of a big difference because her father, the Mad King, he's like, burn them burn all. all. Yeah. So she's listening, but... A welcome departure. Yeah, she'll also make her own decisions when she has to, but she makes them with all of the advice she's received in mind. Definitely. You have any notes you want to talk about? Yes. I I only have a page, <laughs> so we can <laughs> pick good. and choose. Um, so Cersei and Jamie. Nice. That's where I am, too. Okay. Yeah. She... Cersei is in her cups, we could say. <laughs> Cersei's drunk. <laughs> like Carl Tanner. <laughs> Cersei's drunk. And she would be drinking out of Tyrion's skull if she could. <laughs> totally. Just to draw another Carl Tanner parallel. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we have two drunk people in this episode. <laughs> so we hear knocking at the door while Cersei's drinking it up. Just ignoring and it. And finally... Jamie opens the door and he's like, Your Grace? You and she's sent like, me? Your Grace. And what I found interesting to, in typical Cersei fashion is that she sent for Jamie. She sent for him. And now right. he's knocking at her door and she doesn't want to let him in. Right. And she's like, So formal. How formal of you. But then she ends the conversation with Lord Commander, you know, and calls him yes. by his title, you know? Yes. And I thought. They're, you know, we are clearly seeing their continued strain on their relationship. Um, Does she think that Jamie played a part in murdering Joffrey? She's like, why did Catelyn Stark set you free? You know, I think she's just digging at him this whole scene because she digs at him again earlier, like the scene or the sentence right before that. She's like, why did you not project? protect joffrey the way you protected joffrey that's why i thought like like she's she's lamenting about joffrey then she's like well why did catelyn let you free anyway were you sent here to to kill joffrey you know what i mean is that the deal you made no that's a really interesting point i actually didn't even pick up on that and now that you're saying that that's a very interesting take on this scene because he's like what Yeah, I was wondering why she's being... I mean, we know Cersei's a bitch, and we know that she's mad at Jamie for taking too long, but you make a really good point, Duncan, that maybe she's trying to figure out if Jamie had something to do with it, because yeah. in her mind, she knows Tyrion had something to do with it, and she even states in this scene that you've always protected Tyrion, you've yeah. always been on his side. So I, I thought that her digging at... Jamie for not protecting Joffrey, you know, while it wasn't something that Jamie could protect him from, it was a concern for many that Jamie could no longer protect the king because he didn't have a hand. So I think it was yep. extra 
a de- an extra deep cut to Jamie that he couldn't save their son. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. She's just, yeah, taking shots at him any way possible while simultaneously interrogating him to see if he had anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she had two motives. Actually, the one that you mentioned, I didn't even pick up on. But that's a good catch. Yeah. I don't know if I had really noticed it before either. I was just like, oh, shit. She thinks he was involved. Like, I've been wondering for months, you know, like uh, ever since that great cow brought you back to the Capitol, Brienne. That's so funny. Yeah. You know, and she throws it at him like, I know you went to go visit Tyrion. Yep. It's like another betrayal. You know, they just got done talking about making a sacred oath with the enemy. So that's a betrayal in his eyes. That's so funny. Now, Jamie's making. You know, he's consorting with another enemy. Exactly. And Jamie says, I had to know for my, myself. He didn't and do it. And she goes, yeah, he didn't do it, Cersei. And I found this response interesting. He'd kill us all if he could. Well, what did you find so, interesting about that? Well, because he ends Cause up killing Because I found it interesting, his, too. I, he ends up killing his, their dad. It's true. And now, now Tyrion is the hand of Daenerys. So they're fighting on opposing sides. Mm-hmm. And in season seven, Jamie leaves Cersei. So where's Jamie gonna go? My my thought is he's gonna go try to find Tyrion. So I'm wondering if maybe Tyrion will have something to do with maybe at least her death, like conspiring with Jamie, or it comes down to something that they have no choice but to kill their sister together. Maybe. But I I mean, that's just me kind of spitballing. <laughs> so what I thought was interesting about the line, he'd kill us all if he could. It reminded me of what he said at his trial, where he's like, I'd gladly give my life to watch you all die, <laughs> to, to poison you oh all. Oh my gosh, that's right. <laughs> Every single one of you, like... <laughs> That's right. Okay, so there you go. I didn't poison that wretch, but I wish I did. You know, <laughs> right? So funny. That's a great point. I didn't even pick up on that, and I'm really. Ex- I mean, I know we all are. I'm really excited for season eight because I have so many theories, and I just want to see if any of them play out. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it's like a lot of my theories kind of will likely lead to nowhere, but you just never know in these episodes what is a foreshadow until you watch it and then rewatch it again. Or in my case, watch it 500,000 times. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I thought it was um, interesting how she was asking him how many people are are guarding Tommen's room. And he's like, well, Sir Boros is on duty tonight. She's like, so just one of them, you know? (laughs) Like, you were supposed to protect our last son, and now you've just got one guard guarding the the king. (laughs) Which is kind of a true statement on her part. Yeah, totally. I mean, you have one person guarding the king. Yeah, and at the end, she's like, I want four men at Tommen's door, day and night. That will be all, Lord Commander. Yes, very cold. Yep. Raging biatch. (laughs) That's what I have written down after that. (laughs) That brings us to um, 
speaking of Tommen's chamber, you know. Ooh, it, the seduction. Yeah, we we know it was only guarded by uh, by <laughs> by one guard, and that wasn't enough to protect him from Lady Marjorie. Yeah, how did she get past that one guard? I can think I of wonder. a few different ways. <laughs> I know, of, so can PG. I. <laughs> oh man. You and I are on the same wavelength with that one. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I'm, yeah, so she somehow gets in there, and Tommen's lying lying in bed, and it it the camera pans over to the the boar head mounted on the wall with the arrow through its eyes, which Marjorie had shot. You know, Joffrey yes. was like kind of helping Marjorie shoot the crossbow, and she shot it right through his eyes. So I thought that was symbolizing how she's like on target, and. Uh, She's on target, on task, on duty, like entering his chamber to fulfill the next step of her mission. So I thought that was like telling of her personality. Very nice visual. Yeah, visually showing us like how on point she is with <laughs> with what she's doing. She was great at manipulating Joff, which was that, which was what she was doing in that scene. Like, oh, well, well, I'd like to see you kill something. You know, you want? Would you like to see me shoot the bow? You know. Do you think I could do it? Yeah, you know. So now she's going to manipulate Tommen in whichever way uh, makes sense for him. Yeah, great point. So she shows up and he hears a noise <laughs> and he's such a dope. He's like, Sir Pounce? <laughs> yeah, it's, is, that, is that you, Sir Pounce? You know? No, it's not a fucking cat walking with like like a hundred pound woman. If I ever get another cat, I am so naming him Sir Pounce. <laughs> Hell yeah. So that was so oh funny. Goodness. He's so such a, like a little derp derpster, and uh, so he's like, "How did you get past the king's guard?" And she's like, "The king's guard." And I'm noticing like what a gorgeous room this is that they're in. Like, wow, yes. it is really beautiful. There's like one wall that's totally open to to the outdoors, to nature, to this like patio or whatever. And there's all this vegetation like dangling down from the arches and I'm like, damn, that is nice place. Like I would I wouldn't mind staying there, you know? Oh, totally. I love that open and you can tell that they're pretty far in the south because it's still relatively warm green, enough yeah. to <laughs> warrant having open air into a bedchamber. Especially the king's bedchamber. Yes. Although he may not have been coronated yet. Yeah, he hasn't gotten, like, he hasn't been crowned yet. So what do they call a king that hasn't been cor- um, crowned yet? A bitch. Um, oh. no, no, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, that's a good question. I guess it would be the, like, he would still be a crown prince who'd just be, like, uh, pre-king king? I don't know. I don't know if it's a good question. Be curious. So... Sh- She's like, yeah, I'll have, have to look it up or something. He's like, uh, I don't think you're supposed to be here. Mother doesn't allow me to have visitors at night. And she's like, well, I'm not a visitor. Word has it that I'm supposed to be your bride. You know, and she's so slick. You know, if we're, if we're going to spend our lives together, we have to get to know each other first, don't you think? And he's like, uh, yeah, 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 totally. He's all wide-eyed. He's looking and at I'm this like, gorgeous girl. He's yeah. like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't yeah. even care what you... <laughs> I don't even care. You're hot. <laughs> yeah, he he wants to get to know her pretty well, you know. And uh, so she, she's like, um, he's like, but if my mother find found out, she's like, well, it can be our secret. And if we're going to be man and wife, I, we'll have a few secrets together from her, I hope. You know, and he's like, yeah, I can think of a few secrets. That <laughs> <laughs> so your grace, yes, tell me a secret. 
I liked that line. I thought that was really funny and like playful and like cool. Total flirt and se- seductress. You know, yeah, it's definitely. Her little eyebrows raise. <laughs> yeah, it's, and he looks so innocent and like helpless. You know, and he like, looks uh, like a mesmerized. deer in the headlights. <laughs> yeah, His totally. eyes are like wide, and he's not even blinking. And he's like, his jaws just like oh oh, dangling open, like gilly. <laughs> <laughs> and so that like Sir Pounce pounces into the room and she calls him a proper little fellow. A proper a fellow. A proper little fellow. <laughs> yeah, that, that was so funny. And that's when um, he says, he tells her about what Joffrey would say to him. You said, you remember you brought it up last time that Joffrey threatened to skin him alive and mix his innards into my food. So I wouldn't know that I was eating him. It's fucked uh, up. Which is kind of remnants of the Rat King story as yeah. well. And uh, what and Arya cats does to hunt Walder. rats. Oh, yeah. Cats do hunt rats. That's funny. So uh, she's like, that's very cruel. You don't strike me as cruel. And he's like, no, I don't think I am. (laughs) And it's like he doesn't fucking know anything for sure. (laughs) He's so wishy-washy about everything. It's hilarious. He's like, I don't think I'm cruel. Do you want me to be cruel? Should I be cruel? (laughs) I'll do do whatever you you want. want. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a relief. Um, and she kind of like tells him like, cause you know what happens when we marry? He's, he's, he's like, he's like, we say our vows in front of the high septon and after the ceremony, there's a feast. <laughs> and after that, and she's like, no, 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 Totally wrong. Sh- shut up, Tommen. Like, no, after we marry, I become yours forever. You know? And he's like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's getting late. I should go. And like, just a really fucking funny scene. Tommen is such a, like a little doofball. And Marjorie is very good, like Elena was saying. She is good. She is. Really freaking good. She has that like little look of desire in her eye. Yeah. Still. And she's like, May I come and visit you again? And he's just like, <gasps> It's like hell yeah. yeah and he like <laughs> his head bounces like fifty times, like, like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Enthusiastic agreement. Why are you leaving? <laughs> All right then. Remember, our little secret. And it's always creepy when someone says our little secret. You know what I mean? I know. Yeah, usually it's like somebody, something nefarious. And I love how she like leans in and she like oh, looks yeah, at his yeah, yeah. lips. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh my God, it's happening. And then she kisses his forehead. <laughs> yep. Tease. Such a tease. And uh, it's like, what does she say? Like some, it's, she always keep him wanting more, you know? Yes. Maybe that was from the tutors. Yeah, that's what she was told to do with the tutors. Like, you got to keep him, you know, interested, keep him wanting more. And she's seducing Henry VIII. So it yes. makes perfect sense. It's like the same thing if Anne Boleyn is the uh, the character that Marjorie is based on. Perfect comparison to go by. It is. It's great. Really good. So, yeah, that was a fun scene. Always good um, to see Marjorie doing her thing. And Tommen just being, he's like wrapped around her finger at this point. Yes, and Sir Pounce. <laughs> yeah, and Sir Pounce. I yeah. love me some Sir Pounce. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, who doesn't? Uh, what other notes do you have? Anything? I do. I I have kind of um, back up at the wall. Nice. Yeah, that's where I am, too. Just Sam and John? S- Sam and John, nice. yeah. S- Sam is feeling what it's like to not be able to leave the wall to protect someone that he loves. And yeah. You know, was it last episode that Sam echoed John's sentiment about being jealous of Rob? Uh, it was a few episodes a, ago. A couple episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, a couple episodes ago. 
So in this episode, John is echoing Sam's sentiment. He was like, this is the exact same way I felt when I wanted to leave and go help Rob. And you were the one that brought me back. And, yeah. you know, I know how you feel. Yeah, he's like, I remember when you disobeyed orders and rode south to help Rob. And he's like, I remember who came after me and brought me back home. You. <laughs> Yeah, and they start talking about Bran. And, you know, when he told me about Bran, it was a huge reason, like, why I wanted to get better so I could just go out there and find him. Mm -hmm. And they started talking about where he could be beyond the wall. And they were like, you know, could he be at Craster's? They realize, yeah, he may have ended up at Craster's because it's, like, the only place around on, like, like Mm -hmm. headed, like, straight north and where there may be, like, activity and it just seems natural that they could have ended up there. And they were totally right. They are. They are totally right. Imagine, like, John knows that his, like, like pra- practically baby little brother, who's like 10, is, like, alone north of the wall. And he can't go and save oh, him. Imagine the torture of that. Yeah, so, I mean, he's totally echoing Sam's feeling about wanting to go back and get Gilly and protect her and bring yep. her back to the wall. And they're both echoing Eamon, who wanted to go and protect his family in a number yeah, of occasions I'm sure it's a common Blackfire rebellions and whatnot. I'm sure it's a common angst amongst a lot of the brothers at the Night's Watch of feeling oh, the yeah. sentiment. Definitely. But what I noted about this scene was they're talking about Bran and Locke walks in and hears them talking about Bran Ooh, true. being possibly at Craster's. And that's his whole reason for being there is to find out where the Stark boys are. So, Oh, right. Holy shit. I forgot about that entirely. Yeah. So he walks in and he's like, Alistair wants you, but they had just finished mentioning Bran's name and possibly being at Craster's. So yeah, he wasn't just supposed to kill John. He's supposed to also like find out the location of Bran and Rickon. Yeah. So now they're down with, um, in, I guess the mess hall, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. And Alistair gives John the authority to go take care of the mutineers he'll authorize that but he can only take volunteers Mm -hmm. and the light from the window is shining on lock the whole time oh snap (laughs) i didn't realize that and he's the last to stand and there's all this like happy music well i don't want to say happy music playing but like light music right right like sort because, of triumphant as people are volunteering to join John's cause and he's becoming exactly. a leader. Like he's going to be leading men on a mission, you know? And like you were saying. And then it turns, Locke stands up and we get like a, f- I don't want to say it like, well, it is. It's like a flat note. It's, yeah, it's very it ominous. It turns very dark sounding. The Foreboding. And, you know, he goes, I'm sorry, I can't take you north of the wall. You haven't take taken your vows and he's like let me take my vows so this this is the minutiae of Locke's plan because he is now with john away from castle black or will be away from castle black going to find one of the star one of the other legitimate stark boys yep so this propels his story forward to get you know his thousand acres and a hold vest (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and to his end. <laughs> yeah, eventually. Hilariously. Um, yeah, so I loved John's comment or, you know, language about if if we are all brothers, then Mormont was our father. Yeah, great line. And that's really true because they res- they all respected Mormont for sure. Yeah, universally loved it seemed, except for the mutineers. <laughs> so I guess he wasn't really. Yeah, and I think that was almost like oh, I don't like blood pumping. He did yeah, the sort moment of like, like a sudden thing. Yeah, they were all really hungry and starving and disagreeing with his leadership at that specific moment at a desperate time. Yeah, which really wasn't that much of a it wasn't a disagreement enough to like kill over, but in that situation of being starving and hungry and desperate and then Craster is getting a Wild. knife shoved through his throat and mm, yeah. Blood starts flowing and everyone's blood is up and boom mormont dies stabbed in the back by cowards you deserved far <sighs> better and that was i keep forgetting his name we've been talking about him all episode um rance, rance? Oh, R- rast rast Ra- isn't rast the one that kills mormont i believe so yeah yeah he stabs him through the back like jamie with a mad king yeah, because Carl kills Craster and Rast kills Mormont. Oh, is it Carl that killed Craster? Yes. Fucking crazy. I forgot yeah. that we had seen Carl before. I was thinking about it when I was watching the episode. Like, huh, was he part of the group beforehand or did they hire him like for this season for this role? And we just hadn't seen him yet. But now he's like the leader of the mutineers. I couldn't remember. So, yeah, it makes sense that he killed Craster. Yes, he's the one that stabbed him through up through the throat. He's the one. The one. Yup. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Any other notes you have? Um, I thought it was nice that Gran and Pip are the first people who join John in his mission. Telling yes. that they're like his, his, they're his ride or die homies, basically. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually they do die <laughs> riding for him. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, yeah, that is the next part is the end of the episode where we get the uh, crazy White Walker scene, man. Oh, my where goodness. Where the baby's lying there and the, the White Walker shows up and picks up the baby and he's holding him to his chest and walking him back to the horse. And as they're riding along, we get some angles where like we see looking downwards at the baby like from over the White Walker's shoulder kind of. And then we get a cool angle where it's looking up at the White Walker from the baby's eyes. And it's kind of blurry and yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because maybe like, maybe like that'll, maybe that'll come back again. Like we'll see that from like Bran's perspective when he like, like has a vision or something like that. That'd be kind of cool. But we get to see through the baby's eyes. And then there's this fucking epic mountain cave thing, (laughs) which is so cool. Oh, I know. And like the- it looks almost like a frozen waterfall. Oh, man, I missed that. I'll have to look. That makes sense. I think there is a frozen waterfall in the books. So, Oh, yeah, it's huge. It takes up like the whole backdrop behind the, um, like in the mountains. It just looks like a frozen waterfall. And it 
the color Sick. of the sky. It's almost like Aurora Borealis. It's gorgeous. It's an it's an epic scene. It's yeah. That shot looking at that whole thing from kind of a distance is like wow. So they they enter the fucking epic mountain cave thing and there's this like creepy ass ice altar with 10 ice spikes surrounding it and the uh the walker puts the baby down on the ice and we get like this perspective from like underneath or like inside the ice altar looking up through the ice as he places the baby down which is cool and then it cuts to 13 shadowy figures and one approaches and it's the night king dun 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 and we see him approach from under the ice altar again he picks up the baby and the baby is like kind of like but as he looks up towards the white walker he sort of calms down and smiles smiles which i thought was sort of creepy and then we get that view of the of the white walker like (sighs) he's like reaching down and he touches the baby's face and the eyes go blue and even the white part of the eyes like like sort of like crystallize and the expression on the baby's face changes and this is one this is the first of two actors who have portrayed the night king oh really i didn't know that which is interesting is it is it night king or night's king can't remember because one one is the show one is the books i don't know I think in the show it's the, the Night, Night King. King. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, this um, this first first um, actor. Let me look it up real quick. He's he was also in the movie Hannibal Rising, and he plays like this crazy um, like Nazi kind of guy <laughs> who's involved with cannibalism oh, and stuff. <clears throat> who's involved with cannibalism and stuff? Yeah, and he's. Yeah, he's pretty intense. He's one of like the underlings that sort of um, are involved with murdering Hannibal's little sister and feeding her to him. It's a really <laughs> fucking good movie. It's horrible, like horrifying, but really good. Richard Brake is the actor's name. Um, great actor. Highly recommend um, just like looking him up and watching some stuff with him because he's he just you know he does a good job. He's not very well known among like viewers, but he's known as like a good character actor in like the Hollywood scene, apparently um, he's respected. He subsequently was replaced by a Slovenian actor, Vladimir Furtick, who is, uh, he's a stunt man on the show, I believe. So yeah, the, the last season or two, we get a, a different actor as the night King, which is just kind of interesting, but yeah, that pretty much wraps up my notes for the episode. Got anything else you want to mention? Yeah, I just, I found it just kind of interesting. It was a very quick note that I made. When we first encounter the White Walkers in the pilot episode, they are quite... um, Naked? Naked, yeah. (laughs) And in this episode, they are fully clothed. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's just coincidence from the show's perspective but i if i'm not mistaken and i'd have to it's been a while since i've watched season seven but i think in season seven they're actually in armor yeah i think so So throughout the series they go from being evolving naked to being clothed to being armored yeah (laughs) pretty crazy so that was just kind of an interesting note because this is the first time I really noticed that they were clothed. 
Yeah, good catch. Good catch. And it's totally different from the books, too. Like, do yourselves a favor. Go to audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Download book one, A Game of Thrones, and listen to the, for free, 30-day free trial. And no strings attached. You can cancel without spending any money if you want. Totally fine. You get to keep the book. But download A Game of Thrones and listen to the prologue. It's so cool, man. Like, the way that the White Walkers are described a little bit different than the than the show they have like translucent armor they're like almost like invisibility cloaked kind of it seems like and like the way they talk like the way that their voices are described it's like super creepy like crackling ice and like oh man it's awesome that prologue is like it's the first chapter of the books obviously the before the first chapter is the prologue but it's fucking awesome like it's one of the best definitely go do that i remember i remember that I loved that. Oh yeah, so good. Books are good. I yeah. need to start picking them up again. And the the Audible trial also helps support us, and you don't have to spend anything. So, do it. It's awesome. Do it. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention? No, I think that wraps up my notes. All right, stick with us, guys, for this short break, and we'll be right back. Here's a little preview of a song I'm working on about Robert Trebelli. news about game of thrones from the daily dot there are 13 new shows that will fill the game of thrones sized hole on your tv by michelle jaworski one is the age of heroes show that's the game of thrones prequel on the hbo network with the you know the working title the long night which we know about pilot's been green lit tentative the premiere date is uh, to be determined and we now know that naomi watts has been cast for the lead role the next show is avatar the last airbender on netflix it's been announced it's going to be a live action adaptation 
Production is scheduled to begin in 2019. The third show is the Chronicles of Narnia. Yay! I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I've never seen or read them, but I've heard good things, so that'll be cool. And it's going to be done by Netflix, too. They've been doing a great job with with shows. Stranger Things, for instance. So that's going to be cool. Um, It's been announced, but premiere is to be determined as well. I have a lithograph hanging in my son's room about the Chronicles of Narnia. Nice. The big, um, the lion comes to visit a little boy in his bedroom. Oh, sweet. And it's hanging in my son's room and it's a lithograph. It's one of only like, I think 99 lithographs made of this particular painting. And I have one of them. Killer. Yes, I love I love me some Narnia. (laughs) Thank you to my auntie, too, for giving us that lithograph. (laughs) Nice. Thanks, Rachel's auntie. (laughs) So number four is holy fuck. I'm reading this for the first time right now, and I'm super excited. Halo. Yes. It's going to be on Showtime. It's an adaptation announced to begin production in 2019. And here are the details. Hollywood has been trying to make a Halo live-action series happen for years, but it wasn't until 2018 that Showtime stepped in and gave a 10-episode t- order for the show. The show promises to satisfy longtime fans of the video game franchise while luring in new viewers. But the precedent is not on Halo's side. Not only has Hollywood tried to make a Halo show for years without success, but video game adapt- adaptations are historically not great. They've done um, some Halo live-action stuff already. There is a thing called Halo Nightfall, which is like a like a five or six part series, fifteen minute inter like uh, episodes. It's pretty cool, not amazing, but I really enjoyed it. So damn, that'll be awesome. Yeah, oh yeah. If you were to tally up all the hours of video games I've played and sort them by what game, like hours per game, I've probably played more hours of Halo than anything else. So that's really exciting. Looking forward to that's that cool. big time. And I didn't know. I'm just finding out now. So that's great. Next is the King Killer Chronicle. Um, and it's based on Patrick Rothfuss's ser- famous series. And a lot of times when people are talking about book series that are similar to A Song of Ice and Fire that people might enjoy, the King Killer Chronicles is one that people bring up frequently. So that's something to keep your eyes out if you're fans of Game of Thrones for sure. That's going to be right yes. up the alley. Um, I guess Showtime has picked this up, and it's going to be a prequel origin story. Awesome. Yeah. Number seven. This is exciting for me, too, big time, because um, yes, I'm a fan. Yes, Lazarus. Ma- you know about this? <laughs> yeah. You read comics? My husband is a big comic person. Nice. Yeah, so Lazarus is a comic by Image Comics. And I just stumbled upon it right when it came out, apparently, a couple years ago when I was starting to get into comics. And it's really, really, really cool. It's like set in the future in like a dystopic, authoritarian setting. And there are these Lazarus beings that are created. They're like robotic humanoids that are excellent at combat and stuff. And um, the story centers around this one girl who's the Lazarus for her, um, her, her family. There's like a couple ruling families that rule over these like massive territories. The description here is 
Um, after calling for its own Game of Thrones, Lazarus, based on Greg Rucka's comic book, became one of three series greenlit by Amazon Studios in September 2017, taking place in an alternate future in which the world belongs to 16 families, each of whom has their own allies, enemies, and one person appointed to fight for them. And they tend to be these Lazarus creatures, beings. In- the interweaving political intrigue and games of Lazarus may appeal to Game of Thrones, but it's a show we'll have to wait a while to see. No major updates have been announced since Amazon first announced picking the series up in September Okay, there's there's one more, The Witcher, which is based off actually it's based off novels which oh, was a that. series of books. Yeah, so The Witcher Saga um was a, a series of short stories from a Polish author and cool. it was turned into a major video game series. So Yeah, like some people's favorite game is The Witcher 3. Oh, my husband is a huge Witcher fan. I've heard it's great. It's uh, so cool. Do you know who's got cast to play the lead character on this as well? Isn't it Henry Cavill? Yeah, Superman. Yeah. Holy shit. He's going to play a great... I don't know if you've ever seen um, Geralt of Riva, I think his name is, the main character of the video game. He has like kind of silvery gray hair that's in a ponytail and he has like a scar on his face and nice. kind of strong features. And Yeah, I've Henry, seen pictures of him, but I've never played it. Trailers and whatnot. Yeah, Henry Cavill, when he's dressed up as the Witcher, will look eerily like this guy. Awesome. So, it, oh my goodness, I'm beyond excited for this show. I don't personally play the video game. My husband is on the last one. He's about halfway through the last video game. <laughs> but I enjoy watch okay, I enjoy watching my husband play this game. Yeah, some games are like that where you can just watch and be like, "Whoa, this is so cool." Yeah. Last of Us is like that too, that zombie game. Yeah, he just I remember being very pregnant <laughs> with our with our child and I just didn't want to do anything. Nothing sounded good to watch on TV. I didn't want to sit at a computer and play Elder Scrolls online with him. Witcher 3 had just came out, so he would blast it out on our big TV in our living room, and I would watch him play it. Sick. So we could spend time together, and I didn't have to do anything but like lay there like a sloth. That says a lot. <laughs> if someone just wants to watch somebody play a video game, it's got to be a really good game. It was really good. So I- I'm super pumped to watch the show because while I know bits and pieces of the lore from the video games, I don't have the whole story, but I know enough that it's extremely intriguing and I'm very excited. Kick ass. Yeah. All right. Next, we're moving on to Game of Thrones and history, continuing our coverage of the article from Ranker.com, Real Historical Figures Who Inspired Game of Thrones Characters by Trisha Soraya Murray. Take it away, Lady Rachel. 
Julius Caesar is Jon Snow. Nice. Julius Caesar and Jon Snow do not share identical life stories, although both were born into prominent families before joining a military service. But they do share identical death stories. Oh, that's so true. I never realized that. That is. (laughs) Yes. Caesar was a legendary conqueror who was seen as being too friendly with those he had defeated in war. Julius wanted conquered provinces far away from Rome to hold greater political citizenship rights, just as John attempted to do with the wildlings he had defeated in war. These reforms were not well received, and so Caesar was stabbed by his allies for the watch. Damn. That's hardcore. That's A two brute. We mentioned that earlier in the uh, in the podcast as well. That's that's cool. Good, really good parallel. I never picked up on that before. You know, another parallel that really kind of rings a bell too is Rob Stark as well, because Bruce Bolton chastised him for being too friendly with those he had defeated in war by like keeping them as prisoners and not killing them. Ah, off. true, and he gets stabbed as well. Yes, he does. Very good, good, good pick, a good pull. Next, uh, John Stark is also Jon Snow. And I particularly like this one. The stories and names of Jon Snow and Jon Stark are so similar, it seems almost impossible that George R.R. R. Martin wasn't at least partially inspired by Stark's life. And it's funny too, Jon Stark, because that's like, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Snow wants to be Stark. Yeah. While on a hunting trip in 1752, Stark and his companions were attacked by Abenaki warriors. Stark was taken prisoner by the Native Americans, but during his captivity, he greatly impressed the Abenaki with his toughness and spirit, leading them to formally adopt him into their tribe. Eventually, Stark was rescued and would go on to take part in the French-Indian War, fighting against Native American forces, although he refused to take part on a raid against the Abenaki, reflecting Jon Snow's conflicted loyalties when fighting the wildlings. He would eventually go on to be a major general in the Continental Army, like my ancestor, Lord Sterling, who was also a major general in the Continental Army. And John Stark, a Revolutionary War hero, coined the phrase, live free or die. That's Boom. awesome. I know, we've, I know we've talked about this, so I'm, I'm a descendant of a general in the Revolutionary War as well. I have a... I had a scholarship... It was called Daughters of the Revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm Sons of the American Revolution. We're both um, descendants of generals in the Revolutionary War. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. That's kind of crazy. That's so cool. So yeah, I just love "Live Free or Die" is the uh, the slogan of one of of either New Hampshire or Vermont. I can't remember which, but Jon Snow obviously is kind of down with that as well as he, you know, is appreciates the free folk and what they stand for and everything like that so pretty cool i like this parallel yeah i i do love this article it, it's awesome yeah they uh, they have a list of other similar articles on the website too so maybe we'll move on to one of those next week because this finishes off uh, this article for us oh okay yeah cool pierre's gaveston is loris tyrell pierre's gaveston was a knight very much in the mold of sir loris tyrell both were known for their skill and agility, as well as their, their militaristic ingenuity. They both rose to prominent positions due to their abilities. However, the most obvious parallel between Piers and Loris is that they were both gay, and both had serious romances with royal partners. Ooh. 
Piers was the apple of Prince Edward of England's eye, <laughs> which worked out in his favor when Edward became King Edward II. Loras, on the other hand, was the lover of Prince Renly, who tried and failed to claim the Iron Throne. That helped Loras avoid Piers' awful fate as eventually others became jealous of the preferential treatment Piers received from the king and had him executed. Damn, that's hardcore. Boom. Yeah, drag. I'm not saying he dressed in drag. I'm saying that yeah, that's a drag. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> the Ottoman Janissaries are the unsullied. I knew nothing about this and still have still know nothing because I haven't really read it yet. The Janissaries were an elite corps in the Ottoman Empire that were part of their military for nearly 500 years. Just like the unsullied soldiers who were purchased by Daenerys Targaryen, the Janissaries were originally made up of slave children who were bought young and then raised under extreme conditions to produce exceptional warriors. At least the Janissaries only had to vow not to get married and thus avoided the castration that befell unsullied recruits. The Janissaries specialized in providing personal protection for various sultans, just as Grey Worm and his troops guard Daenerys wherever she goes. And this is similar to Unsullied as well, because Danny gets an army of 8,000, but that's, that's not typical for um, Unsullied. They could sell a dozen here, a dozen there to people who want to be protected, um, or you know, a thousand for people who want to buy an army, basically. So very yeah, similar. Yeah, and we, we get that sentiment when um, Krasny's is telling her you can't afford all of the Unsullied, you know, like yeah, your ships right, are going to yeah. buy like 20. <laughs> She's like, bitch, don't tell me what I can't do. I have dragons. Yeah. And man, look at that picture of the Janissaries with those massive guns that they're holding. That's like right when guns were invented and they're like huge, like six feet long, probably. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. And they have big old swords too. Oh, yeah. Nice cutlasses. You hear that? What was that? Well, you know, ravens, we hear ravens, that means white walkers are coming, right? Yes. <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. Littlefinger drops his act and admits to Sansa what his ultimate goal is. He wants everything. He tells Sansa that he killed Joffrey because he was too unpredictable to be a good ally and that his new allies wanted him dead. Nothing like a thoughtful gift to make a new friendship grow strong. Oh, Matt, I see what you did here. You capitalized mm-hmm. grow and strong. So you picked up on that yes. reference to House Tyrell as well. Good job. Although he doesn't name his new friends, he could, couldn't could be more obvious in paraphrasing the Tyrell family words of growing strong. <laughs> the terrific editing department hammers this point home further by cutting immediately to Lady Olena walking in the gardens with Marjorie. Yes, I love it. Yup. The ritual of turning Craster's baby into a white walker is very fascinating to me. If the others have the ability to create more of their kind, why don't we see this more often? Does it have to be a sacrifice given to them willingly? Is it something special that has to do with Craster's bloodline? Ooh, could he be descended from the 13th commander of the Night's Watch that was rumored to wed a woman as pale as ice? I really hope this is unveiled in season eight. Damn, yeah, those are I good do questions. too. I've heard bits and pieces of the 13th commander being an ancestor of Craster, so I'm curious. And I've been intentionally obtuse with not divulging too many details about him. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I like Sir Matthew's point of does it have to be a sacrifice given to them willingly? Yeah, very because, interesting. I mean, they could just go around stealing babies. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that wouldn't be that hard for them to do, considering mm-hmm. they're pretty much immune to weapons of humanity, minus yeah, Valyrian still. Instead of 99 White Walkers that are Craster's sons, they could have like 9,900 or <laughs> 99,000. Yeah, so I, I like that. Um, Interesting. I like that sentiment that Sir Matthew sent in. I think I agree and I would, if I were to answer that question, I would say, yes, the sacrifice must be willing. Very interesting. I would, on the other yeah. hand, say that there's probably something to do with Craster's blood. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think so. I think so, too. I was answering that question just on its own. Oh, right, right, right. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, it would be great if we can see some It answers. does make sense, though, because it might be both, because Craster is subjecting those children willingly, and there could be something to do with Craster's bloodline. So it might yep. even be more deeper than that. Like, not just a willing sacrifice, but it has to be from a particular bloodline and willing. That's why there's not too many of them. Right. It's like an Infinity War... Um, in order to obtain this, the soul stone, you have to make a sacrifice. You know, it could be similar. I think my husband and I are going to watch that tomorrow night. Yeah. Do it. It's awesome. Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. I love that. <laughs> like Pie Romancer? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just wish they pulled that blanket down so that the shadow on this poor child didn't make him look like he had a bulbous head. <laughs> That's awesome. His head did look pretty bulbous. <laughs> it totally did. <laughs> oh, man, it's hilarious. Thank you, Lady Lisa, for writing in. And thank you also for your excellent work on our website, our new gameofmicrophones.com. If you guys haven't yes, gone there, Yes, it looks amazing. It yeah, it's pretty, it's amazing. pretty great. Lady Steph K of House Cooper, responding to the post on our Facebook page, and our podcast talking about Marine's Champion's Monty Python dialogue that he quoted, a great uh, little thing they decided to do there. She says, that has to be the coolest Easter egg ever. And I agree, that is a pretty awesome Easter egg. Your father was a hamster and your mother smells of elderberries. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Hi, Sir Duncan. This is Caroline Collins calling. I wanted to leave my notes for Oathkeeper. And I I do love the scene with Jamie and Tarion in the in the jail cell. This is my this is the one I like. The other one with the Beatles, I don't get, but this one I like. So I'll uh I'll stick with that for now. I love how Jamie says you have a pot to piss in. Like he didn't have a pot to piss in when he was um, being held prisoner by the Starks. And uh, the history of pot to piss in, I don't know if you guys have already talked about it on the podcast, but it's a kind of a cool uh, saying that came from um, medieval England. So it's in the right kind of um, vein for this uh, like imagined period in uh, Martin's work. And it's uh, about when people didn't have a lot of money, it was said you didn't have a pot to piss in. And that was where the saying came from. But it was also, you know, before the time of indoor plumbing, people would have to uh, urinate in a pot. 
And if you were really poor, you could sell your urine to a tannery and they would use it to, um, to make leather work, to make saddles and, and things like that. I'm sure Travis knows a little bit about this. So it'd be kind of cool to ask him if he knows a little bit more about the history of it. But this is the, you know, basic, basics of my history knowledge. And uh, if you were really, really, really poor and you didn't have a pot to piss in, then you couldn't sell your urine. So you were, you were really up shit creek. So that's the story of pot to piss in. I always love that term. It's one of the few historical terms that don't have racist or feminist connotations. So I always love it when I <laughs> enjoy a historical term instead of feeling uncomfortable about it. <laughs> and, and then Tyrion says that he knows Sansa didn't do it. And, uh, and then the next scene, Sansa says to Littlefinger that she knows Tyrion didn't do it either. And that's more meaningful probably because... Tyrion does have time away from her. It's not like they're a married couple that spend all their time together. You know, he has time with Shay. He has time with Bronn. He could be off plotting the murder of the king. She doesn't know it, but she somehow she knows that he didn't have anything to do with it. Which shows that they are developing, they were developing a trust. Um, whether that would have turned into anything, um, you know, we, we don't know because they got separated so quickly after their marriage. But I'm really interested to see them reunite and see what their feelings are for each other later on now that they've had a few seasons apart. So that's going to be kind of cool to see. But right now they know that, uh, you know, each knows that the other did not kill the king. And I thought that was really interesting that they have that much trust for each other. My other thing was this this episode is full of lowborn men in particular, but people in general, that have uh, acquired power recently and are not doing, well, I suppose they're, they're doing what they're doing with it. Um, <laughs> we see Locke, and I, I have to say, like, I really didn't like Locke the first time I watched the, the whole series. As a character, you know, you, you really like Jamie, and so you're really mad about what he does to Jamie, and you don't see anything from his point of view, but that's what I love about Martin and about the show is that they create so-called villains who have a lot of dimension to their personalities and just really well-written characters that you can see. You can see where they're coming from. He's coming from a place where he's been trodden down and pushed around his entire life, and he's finally getting a chance to to take take some power and he gets some... Uh, recognition from his liege lord and he has a he has an undercover assignment that he has to go and do and it's it, I, I'm kind of excited about it him going up up to the wall and taking his vows and then going up and it's it's really too bad that he works for the bad guys because it would be it would be kind of nice to see him fight a little bit more he's a pretty good fighter and he's kind of got a similar brawn kind of um, technique about it where it's he's fun to watch and you kind of wish that he lived a little bit longer and you got to see him have all kinds of underhanded <laughs> uh, things going on behind the scenes. But True, that would have been fun. He's, uh, he's a pretty good actor. He fooled me. Well, he didn't fool me because I knew what was happening, but I, he fooled John for a little while at least, um, making him think that he was uh, tired of lords pushing him around and he wanted to do his own thing up at the wall. But And then you have... Um, the 
the guy out there at Craster's Keep, and I'm totally blanking on his name now, but I'm sure you're going to say it right now. Carl Tanner. The guy up on the wall, he's uh, drinking from the skull of Gior Mormon and not doing a very good job of running Craster's Keep, obviously. I don't know if he's doing... He's Yeah, he's definitely doing a worse job than Craster did. So... And, uh, you know, taking advantage of all those girls and pissing off all the guys that are trying that I have to serve him and everything. So, and you, you hear his sob story of, you know, how he's a legendary assassin. And I'm, I'm thinking this whole time, like, how did you get caught then and end up getting sent to the wall if you were such a legendary assassin and nobody survived? Um, your attacks because that he must have gotten caught by somebody and sent up to the wall. Good point. Anyway, so he you see what he does, and um, when the Starks, Brandon and um, and Jojen and uh, Mira get captured, then you sort of see how how he's calculating and how he's thinking of what's what's in it for him, but also how can he do the most damage to the people that have scorned him his whole life. He's looking at this sort of all these highborn people are tromping all over the small folk and how is he going to get his own back? And it's just interesting to hear it from the lowborn's point of view because we see so much of the highborns and the royalty and everything in this show. We don't really see what happens to the people that are just living day to day trying to survive and make a make a make a living so I found that kind of interesting with uh with Locke and with him they're both guys that claim to hate the the highborns and they want to do everything they can to to get them back and finally uh Brienne and Jamie a lot of good Jamie scenes this episode but I do love when Brienne leaves and she names Oathkeeper and um they say their goodbyes, and I actually had to go back to season three, episode seven, where he leaves her at um, Harrenhal, and he has to go off with um, with the the guys who are taking him back to King's Landing, and she gets left there with Locke. There you go, another Locke reference, and uh, and then I had, and so I went and rewatched that scene. And I thought for a minute that it was always Brienne that doesn't say anything, but it, it's actually, it was the first time it was Jamie is, is silent and she says, um, goodbye, Sir Jamie, which was, it may have been the first time she calls him Sir Jamie instead of Kingslayer, but I, I think she may have done it before that too. But she definitely is one of the only people to call him Sir Jamie. You either have his family calling him Jamie or you have, um, you know, people that don't know him, acquaintances calling him the Kingslayer. So I found that interesting that she says, goodbye, Sir Jamie, and he just kind of looks weak and nods. He looks like he's about to burst out in tears. And then, so he thinks she's he's condemning her to death, basically. Um, although he comes back for her when he finds out that she's sort of facing a fate worse than death sort of thing. So, and this, this, goodbye um in episode four it's her that doesn't say anything and he says goodbye brienne and she sort of does this little little nod interesting um but she looks like she's gonna burst out into tears too so <laughs> um it's definitely it was deliberate it's a deliberate pattern and uh i know everybody's very excited to see jamie and, and brienne reunite in winterfell 
And let's hope one of them survives this thing. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, that's all I have for today. And uh, thank you so much. I hope I get it in on time. And I will hear from you guys next week. Thanks. Always so great to hear from you, Lady Caroline. Thank you very much for sending your feedback. Thank you so much for all your continued voicemails. They are totally awesome. All right, that's our show, episode 76. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you so much for listening. We hope you are enjoying our ramblings. Next episode, we'll be covering season four, episode five, first of his name. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. And holiday season is approaching. And if you'd like to support Game of Microphones without spending any extra money, you can. Just go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. This will add a cookie to your browser, and while all of your prices will remain the same, anything you buy on Amazon in that session, Game of Microphones will receive a little finder's fee from Amazon for directing you to their site. It's super easy to do, it doesn't cost you a penny more, and it makes a huge difference for us. Game of Microphones has been operating at a massive deficit, <laughs> so any support you can offer would help us greatly. And this way, you don't even have to spend any extra money. A few people have also asked us how they can donate to the podcast. And until now, there hasn't been a way. But soon, you'll also be able to donate to Game of Microphones at gameofmicrophones.com. And or subscribe to give a monthly contribution of an amount of your choice. Any little bit helps. And this way, you can secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones and help ensure that we're around and still able to release podcasts. If you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Impslap! <laughs> We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Gab at gompodcast. Give us a like on Facebook and an iTunes rating slash review. They really do help. And we're also on Tumblr at Game of Microphones, all one word. Also, make sure to check out our friend Travis's new Kickstarter campaign to help make some necessary upgrades to his meadery. I can't wait to try some of his mead. Go to weirdleatherandmead.com to check it out. Weird spelled W-Y-R-D. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. They say the best swords have names. Any ideas? Oathkeeper. Smiling pod! He's standing there like such a gomer. <laughs> He's <Yeah>. a gomer. <laughs> and then they tie Hodor up. And it makes me sad. Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. I know. <laughs> that was me knocking your ass to the dirt with your own hand. <laughs> with your own hand. Yeah. How fucked up is that? Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> he knows that one of his three ju judges has, has wished him dead more times than, I, than he can count. And that's his father. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Which God is awful. Damn. Yeah, that's, that's some rough shit right there.
she basically says that he couldn't even make it down to for the proposal the next morning because he couldn't bloody walk. <laughs> Saddle sores, awesome. if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he believes him. He goes, I believe you. We'll go hunting for rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one day. Right now, watch and learn, you little bitch. Rugged. Dangerous. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> I would say that this is Janos's only, like, legitimate moment of intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> He fed a prized partridge to his his kids, basically, and had the choice oh, okay. of losing a hand or joining the Night's Watch. And he's like, fuck those kids. I'm joining the Night's Watch. I'm keeping yeah. my hand. <laughs> you know, I thought going up to the wall, I wouldn't have to suck up to any highborn cunts. Guess I was wrong. <laughs> wrong. Staring at her, he's like, ooh, boobies. Busted, and then he's just like, Ugh, like deflates down into the water, and like bubbles are coming up. <laughs> Cersei's in her cups, we could say. Cersei's drunk. <laughs> like Carl Tanner. <laughs> You've always had sex with Tyrion just as much as me. Oh, gross. <laughs> ooh, the seduction. Yeah, we, we know it was only guarded by... Uh, by <laughs> By one guard, and that wasn't enough to protect him from Lady Marjorie. Because you know what happens when we marry. He's, 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 like, he's like, we say our vows in front of the High Septon, and after the ceremony, there's a feast. <laughs> and after that, and she's like, no, 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 no. Totally wrong. Sh- shut up, Tommen. And it's the Night King. Dun, dun, dun. 